Myriad are the grots and monsters that make up the gloomspite gits. Dank and foul are the caverns and caves, the swamps and ravines, and web-strewn wilds in which they make their lairs. Their armies comprise disparate tribes of Moon Clan and Spiderfang grots, which scuttle to war alongside lumbering chagas, foul-tempered gargants, and bounding masses of slather-jawed squigs. Well might their enemies wonder what could unite such anarchic beings into an army capable of conquest and slaughter on a grand scale. For the answer, one need only to look to the darkest corner of the heavens. The Shyish Necroquake has unleashed sorcerous energies that swell to a flood tide and threaten to drown all life. An age of fell omens has gripped the mortal realms, and amongst the most malevolent of these has been the rise of the Bad Moon. This monstrous celestial object plows erratically through the skies, following a madcap course that trails darkness and insanity in its wake, and heralding a strange eclipse in which loonstone rains from the skies and foul fungi spread like a plague. Wherever the bad moon draws nigh, the gloom spike hordes surge from their lairs in their hundreds of thousands. They worship the leering lunar body as a many-phased aspect of Gorkamorka, the god of destruction, and seek to catch his attention with deeds of spiteful violence so spectacular that the bad moon will halt its wanderings. The gloomspike gits believe that this will usher in an age of endless twilight. Amidst the everlasting shadows, they will be free at last to sweep across the lands and tear down every last bastion of chaos, order, and death alike until the bad moon reigns over all. Welcome to the Garage, you tools. For the next four hours or thereabouts, we will do our best to keep you informed, entertained, and perhaps have a lot of laughs along the way. Bringing you Spiderfang, Moon F- Clan, and did you really think I'd let Dave do this book review without me? I'm Alex Gonzalez. And I'm Dave. That was a wonderful introduction there, my friend. I tried. I've been practicing and, I don't know... If you know me, this is my book, and I've been so wanting to talk about this for a very long time. <laughs> uh, you worked on this one, right? Yes, this one. Um, now, we were told we were going to be getting a book, and this is obviously a while ago now. Um, I was having a really bad day at work. Kids were just getting stepped up left and right. I had a lot of just garbage going on. And all of a sudden, I start getting the texts and the Facebook messages from the rest of the playtesters. It's like, Alex, check your email. Alex, check your email. Alex, check your email. And I finally said, what? And then I looked. And I cried. Um, Because I couldn't read it because I was at work. But I saw what it was. And it's like, oh, no. (laughs) This is actually happening. And... uh, and then for it to get announced um, while we were in the hospital with Joan going through all of that, um, this book has a lot of – it's a lot for me. Uh, this, was a pre- this was an absolute joy to work on. And my big thing when we were playtesting it was to make sure it felt right. It didn't – I didn't want this to just be like just another OP book. Or anything like that. This needed to feel right. 
and I really think it does. Yeah, um, I enjoyed it. I don't have all those connections to it. In fact, my favorite part about Greenskins is killing them. But this book is uh, this book was fun to read, and it's got a lot of character, and there's a lot of cool stuff you could do with it. Yeah, there's. I like that endless. it's not four books. It's not a troll book and a squig hopper book and a spider group book and a you know general grot book. Like you could put it all together. This and the Skaven book coming out on the same day, doing the same sort of idea, where it's like, oh look, here's this is like the old stuff where we just put everything here for you, and you can mix and match as you please. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a huge range of models that went along with this release. A lot of new stuff, a lot of classics getting uh, put in. So, yep. So gloom spite gets. Yes. This is, uh, <laughs> listen, before we jump into this, though, we got to thank the sponsors of Garage Hammer here. So. Yes, yes, we do. So, as always, you need to take a moment to thank the sponsors of Garage Hammer, which include Chaos Orc Superstore. Chaos Orc Superstore. Chaos, Chaos Orc Superstore. Six Squared Studios. Six Squared Studios for all your basing and MDF needs. And Lindsay's Gamer Garrison in Wakanda, Illinois. Not that Lindsay, and not that Wakanda. Uh hey, we got the we got the we got the primer one day event coming up at Lindsay's on March 9th. I'm excited about that. Yeah, how many spots do we have? Um, well, we we opened with 16, and we just announced it. Um, I know we've got spots left. I don't know exactly how many. And I know some of the some of the regulars over at Lindsay's are planning on coming, and of course they're there regular all the time. So I'm like, guys, please just put your name down so that I know how many spots I got left. So I know there's a, you know a few that uh, guys that are sort of dragging their feet on putting their names in. So should we talk to you or should we talk to Lindsay's to sign up? Um, well, I mean, you can con- if you have any questions, you can always contact me on the Facebook page or at David at GarageHammer dot net. But um, yeah, you could totally just call Lindsay's, and I had the number here, and now I don't have the number here, so I will put that into the. Sh- it's in the show notes for for certain. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, you could. Or you totally- can check out their Facebook page too, and you can check out their Facebook page, which is a nice page. And um, yeah, we're gonna. I, I'm redoing the commercial for them because they opened up their uh, online store at Lindsay's Garrison. So, okay. Yeah, there's all sorts of stuff going on with uh, with Lindsay's right now. Yeah. Um, you can check out their web page at lindsaysgarrison.com, and that's L-I-N-D-S-A-Y-S-G-A-R-R-I-S-O-N, lindsaysgarrison.com. And they've got all that stuff going on there, too. But, yeah, super excited. Uh, yeah, the number's there. Oh, there it is, uh, 847-624-0024. Um, give them a call. Let them know you're coming. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. We're putting all that together. Um, yeah, for sure. So, I like I said, I'm just excited. I haven't run anything in a long time, and uh, running up, the, getting this in the lead up to Adepticon with all sorts of people trying to put together new things to be playing. I'm excited. That's yeah, it. I am too. This will be my first tournament back. Um, right. So this will be a lot of fun. And we'll be trying uh, stuff out for Adepticons to say if you're going, you can come out and see how things fare. Absolutely. Um, 
And let's not forget uh, all the fine sponsors uh, over at uh, the Patreon, all the patrons over at Patreon that make the show possible. Um, our associate producers, Phil Elliott, Dwight Sims, Christopher Sanders, and AJC. You're supposed to say AJC. It's mm-hmm. like a call response thing. Oh. I go, AJC. AJC? There you go. There you go. Perfect, perfect, perfect. I'll get it right the next time. <laughs> oh, and we want to thank all of you guys. Seriously, all of you guys who are helping out. Um, every day you got someone who's coming in and be like, you know, hey, I'm I'm in for a buck. How's that? It, it, it's perfect. It helps out so much. You, have, you guys have no idea how much each and every one of you guys mean to us when you're helping make this show and everything we do possible so if you're not uh or if you're interested and you're not a patron go and check out the patreon page at patreon.com slash garage hammer um and did you know alex we still have voicemail we did not we get rid of it while you were gone we still have voicemail i'm really surprised we <laughs> yes it's shocking i know um we haven't gotten any new voicemails uh recently but we did we do have voicemail, and we're always happy to get voicemails. And you can leave your voicemail at one seven five seven GH Show Six. That's one seven five seven GH Show Six. Most international callers dial zero zero first. And for those of you who need numbers only, that's one seven five seven four four one four six nine six. How'd you like that? That's oh, good stuff. It is. Leave it's... us voicemails, folks. Really, <laughs> we do like hearing them. Yep. 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 So, um, you know what? Let's get, let's just be, let's, let's just do this. Let's jump in. Let's, uh, start talking about this book. Um, in fact, we've only been going 10 minutes and I know we'll use up at least all three of our little break points, our commercial spots. So rather than take a break, let's just jump right into what is a great book. I like the cover. I like that. They took the weird, goofy Loon Boss with that, with that McDonald's mask on, and then the and then you also got the buggy eyed guy up in the front too. They plaster all their gross griblies right up in the front there. Well, they got to. Of course, there's the Ragnaroks in the back. There's the, the the shadow of the bad moon in the very back. You got. Mm-hmm. You got squigs. You squigs. got trogs. You got. Everything on here. Yep, it is. It is. It is complete. Yes. All right. So let's look at. Let's let's just let's kind of jump into a little bit of the lore a bit. Okay. Absolutely. All right. So we know the Greenskins have pretty much been around forever. You know, um, everywhere. When Sigmar first showed up, I was getting shown around. Greenskins all over the place, um, and. They're not, I mean, they're like, they're not tiny. Like, I guess I always pictured goblins as like, you know, a little bigger than gnomes, but they're like, what, like four, six, four, nine, something like that. They're supposed to be the size of a small childish, um, definitely less than five foot. Yeah. I thought they were, yeah, I thought they were like a small, but I guess like, you know, either a very small adult or, or a larger, larger child. Yeah. Yeah, the scale has definitely gone up on uh, with the miniatures in general because they used to be really tiny. Yes, um, and they're getting a little bigger. But no, they are—they're small. They're supposed to be that tiny, but there's a lot of them. 
especially with the grots. They don't get particularly big, like how we talked about with Iron Jaws, where they just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. These guys kind of stay about the same size. They just get sneakier and craftier. Oh, yeah. A little bit lot crazier. So. <laughs> I just love the introduction in here. They talk about them. They're cunning, conniving, spiteful, self-serving little hooligans. Hooligans. And that's very accurate. <laughs> and their natural capacity for violent mischief more than makes up for their lack of physical or spiritual fortitude. Uh, they look out for themselves. It's why so many of them survived the age of chaos. They just said, nope, this ain't working for us, and locked in, in down in, down into their underground lairs. And uh, it was they are hard to find. Um, yeah, they went down into the darkest, dankest corners, into the far-strung wilds, and they just kept going. And they have a lot of, like, the storytelling about why they do the things they do. Um, so they worship the bad moon and the moon clan grots particularly have a boogeyman named Glareface Frazzlekit, which is the sun it's supposed to be as uh, hish. Yeah. But they depict, they put a face to him and it's a scary thing. And they've also hinted that this could be Sigmar, um, as Glareface Frazzlegit, um, it's just this cruel, evil thing because it burns them with all the light, even though they try to nestle down in the clammy dank. And, I don't know, just so much. Uh, yeah, but I, they... Go ahead. Go, no, go ahead. No, no, you're good. I just, as they were going through some of this early, early stuff even before you get to their worship and stuff, as you move through the age of chaos, how they just dug themselves deeper and deeper into their holds. And the deeper they get, the stranger, like, you know, it's all, it reminds you of when we were talking about how, um, you know, Realmstone stays on certain areas in the realms and stuff like that, how different things, different places in the realms have different qualities. And as they're digging these deeper and deeper tunnels, they're getting toward, toward different minerals, different, uh, uh, types of soil, all these different changes are growing different types of weird mushrooms and is help. And then, and they in turn are growing stranger, different types of creatures. Yeah. All the different squigs and then the different mushrooms that they cultivate. Um, we kind of seen that with the malign importance of the death caps, right? Uh, that the fungi cave shaman consumes, but they were happy to do it. And all they do is they go down and they hang out, breed squigs, cultivate mushrooms. It's a very agricultural existence, really. It's really bizarre. They're like a bunch of... It's, it's so bizarre just to watch them. They just grow all these things that they need. They grow them in these little weird communes and they all wear robes. Except the stuff they're growing is just totally horrible. <laughs> they're just like... Mm-hmm. They got their little, you know, like meth labs going where they're just growing different fungus and different poisons and yeah. seeing what happens. It's, it's, uh, um, and then it's the same sort of idea with the spider fangs, except they worship, uh, a version of Gorka Morka where they see him as this spider god and they worship the spiders that they help breed and take care of and they revere them as like living deities yeah 
So again, it's a which seems to work apparently because when we get to that stuff later, it's like, oh, you used to go live in the forest where the spiders and the spiders would eat you, and then you started bringing them other food and worshiping them, and then they stopped eating them. Mm-hmm. They, you know, it's like they knew what was like they're they're not dumb animals. The spiders are at least somewhat sentient, and they realize I could just eat these things, or I could let them bring me food as they worship me. And even more so, it talks about when they come out when they're going to battle, and they come out and stop as they come out of their lairs to allow the grots to like hop you know, on, and not just hop on, but load them up with their with the equipment and the howdas and stuff like that. And they're just like, "Oh, sure, we're good for this." Once the battle starts, you can't really control them, but. <laughs> that's that's the story of just about everything in battle and with this army. Yeah, but just and the that, spiders are no exception. Yeah, that the spiders have responded in this way is I was one of the things I liked uh, when I was reading these stories in this book. So the thing I found conversely, especially with like this early stuff, is that they live this agrarian, almost like city building style. But their destruction, which is supposed to abhor that and try to tear it down. Oh, they're going to tear down all the cities. They want this to come up on on uh, above ground. You don't need the, their tunneling and their digging is out of necessity. If they, if you can get the mm-hmm. if you can get the moon over there, if you can put them into the eternal into an eternal state of twilight without the big sun above, where everything is sort of humid and moist and dark above ground, then they don't need to tunnel or dig or anything. Yeah, and, and let's face it, half the stuff they're tunneling and digging is going under other things and causing collapses and destruction and stuff like that. Um, they often break into Fire Slayer magma holds in Skaven burrows as well, which causes huge battles. Uh, a lot, a lot of the little uh, Moon Clan lairs have been totally wiped out when they accidentally carved their way into a dwarven hold or dwarven hold. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I think they're the, the the building portion. We might be giving them a little much credit for. If they could, if they could just harvest them above ground, they would. Which is the whole plan. And it gets weird. There's some weird stuff in here in the introduction. I'm still on the first couple of pages, and the rise of the gloom spite gets. Mm-hmm. You know, they talk about the bad moon, and they say some things. You know, it. The, there's different things in here. How it, you know, in, like insanity fails, and like people who have tried to 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 chart it so that they could predict where it's going to be, so that Sigmar and his people could be ready. Those people have gone crazy. Yes. Um. Others feel that Gorka Morka um feels that when the bad moon, you know, is there, that Gorka Morka is a part of it, or that it feeds upon soul energies, and that the Necroquake is really what's brought it about. Um, but man, it just controls the gets. I mean, as that thing comes around and it does come around, like the thing exists. It's not like a regular moon, but it's something that does apparently travel through the celestial bodies because there's records of it showing up. And when it starts to get closer, that's the really crazy thing. Even before it gets there, the shamans start chanting and mumbling and doing all this stuff. And then the drums start off. And then all the grots get agitated and kind of fractious. As, and the squigs and the spiders get aggressive. Yeah, that might the be ones the one negative among so many positives. Because there's a lot of positives for gits when this. And it shows up in the rules and in the game. They've got their their cool little rules for when the moon is is. is 
is coursing overhead, how it drives them to to new uh, new heights of whatever it is they need to be doing. Um, but it gets crazy. The the loon loon storms and the loon caps, which is the got got depth. Well, those are death caps, right? Or the these are different mushrooms that different, just yeah. grow sporadically from the light of the bad moon on any surface stone soil metal flesh bone if you are under there and you are damp mushrooms could be a growing on you yeah and it comes out because they in the preview video they showed that with scrag rot you actually see the mushrooms growing out of the humans that he's interacting with uh-huh and that is just a really weird thing to think of is that you could have mushrooms growing out of you. Oh, it's disturbing and gross. And and which is the point. Yeah, it's it's really a creepy strange thing. Um but <laughs> all of this is because this is like I said when you said about the building. This is what they want though. If they can get the bad moon to notice them enough to stop and and stay up there to cast that that you know that weird you know moonlit darkness onto the lands, you can Usher in the Everdank, which is you know the what perpetual twilight of moistened befoulment that they wish to help them conquer the surface world in the name of Gorka Morka, the Everdank perpetual twilight of moistened befoulment. That should be we should call that the name of the show instead of Gloom Spike Gets perpetual twilight of moistened befoulment. I'm marking that right in the book. I don't care that. <sighs> I like that. I already highlighted the book. Shut up. Now I'm putting the pen. Oh. I'm a school teacher. These things aren't forever. Oh, come on. They're going to put out, you know, yeah, don't mark your books. They might put out four different versions of your Stormcast book. Don't mark the first one for the love of Pete. It'll be, you'll keep it forever. It won't be obsolete in nine months. Wow. (laughs) Sorry. Oh, no, I, I just. I like this. Like I said, this story, this this story. I mean, okay, it's it doesn't grab you like the first time you read Flesh Eater Court's book, mm-hmm. but I it's it it gives me just enough weird and creepiness and and variety. I think the thing that this broke for me was this that whole you know because even back like back when they were just orcs and goblins, right? You were basically either moon clan goblins or forest goblins, and you never—I never saw forest goblins. Like, I, well, I, you never saw them being played. You never saw anyone using them. So basically, I used when you, them. I, okay, I didn't mean nobody. I had a unit of them too. I am uh, unit. nobody, but um, no, it's one of those things that. But you know what? I'm just saying that uh, the bad moon, or what is it? Um, yeah, it was the bad moon, but it was only specifically like specific for the Moon Clan or Night Goblins at the time. Is that they worshipped the bad moon? The spiders worshipped their own thing, and then the Git Mob, what was just the regular goblins, they were just kind of along for the ride. Yeah, but it was so the aesthetic between them all was so different, and they didn't necessarily jive that well on the table. Right, but I'm just saying when you picture goblins from the old goblins, you picture um, Moon Clan goblins, you know, uh, or or spider. Uh, you either took a spider rider army 
you know, and then they came with the Ragnaroks, and you'd see that a little more often. You either took, like, <laughs> a bunch of Spider Riders, or you took guys in black robes, and you saw a lot of those. And that's, I think, whenever you thought about it, that's what you pictured. Here now, I'm looking, there's all sorts of little odd things that, they're, it's sort of breaking that, that mold of, you know, just those guys. And that's, mm-hmm. how, that's, what I'm, that's at least how I feel. Yeah. So now that I brought it to a screeching halt, I just was like I said, that's what I liked about the book was that the, the variety that came up, at least when I picture them now, there could be a bunch of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so the bad moon. Uh, we don't know exactly where it came from because all of their stories are insane, and they all every 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 group has a different story of where the bad moon came from. Uh, Gorka Morka took a big bite out of it, and uh, or he tried to. Yep, it's so tough that it barely pierced, pierced the surface before teeth broke off, and then he was upset, and he was and so then. Uh, that uh, apparently being bit by Gorka Morka but not being eaten uh, will infect you with Gorka Morka ness. Mm-hmm. And that's what turned it into the bad moon. Um, yeah. And <laughs> this is. They're also quick to point out this is the origin of the Moon Clan tribal tradition that no grot is permitted to try and eat the moon. But they, we'll come to that later. <laughs> They had to put um, then, the band down on trying to eat the moon. Oh, yeah. Lord. There were other stories like this one, he, like Gorka Morka plunges into a lake to devour the moon's reflection and the waves smashed his visage together with that of its true counterpart above. I don't, that one, eh. But this one, <laughs> others claim that Gorka Morka first came to the mortal realms aboard a huge warship that has since become the bad moon. Or that the Bad Moon is actually the manifestation of the collective spirits of every Grot Shaman to have ever lived. I like that one, but I think it might just be... I don't know. It's a weird thing to try to imagine that this moon just goes around haphazard without some sort of connection directly to them. So I'd like to think it's a manifestation of all that spite and wickedness and the pent-up soul energy that these guys have. Um, but the spider fang grots worship the great spider god, who, in a similar vein, is an arachnid god beast that bit Gorka Morka on the foot, and by biting him, got infused with his power. So to them... <laughs> Gorka Morka bites you, you get Gorka Morka. If you bite Gorka Morka... You still getting Gorka Morka? Okay. Yeah. Basically, Gorka Morka rubs off on anybody, no matter which way direction it's going. I got it. Yeah. So to them, the bad moon is the spider god's uh, egg sack, which will then eventually hatch and let loose a never-ending swarm of spiders. Um. So they do things to try to get the moon's attention to obviously do the wickedness, the usher and the everdank, the everdank, but then the moon or the spider fangs try to get it to unleash all of these spiders to take over. So it is a lot, but it changes its course and position randomly. It smashes through other objects in the sky as it goes through. 
Yeah, it's a weird thing. This is a like there's a whole lot that makes no sense when you try to put this together, which I suppose is the right way to do it because if it drives other people who actually live with it and try to figure it out actually clinically insane, I should at mm-hmm. least be confused on this side of the book. Yes. Okay. So we agree with that. Okay. Yeah, there is a lot because it's all conjecture. It's all tribal story about what it is. And then my the favorite f- part is that it the bad moon has its own satellites. Now I thought Yeah, I was that, just about to talk about okay. this. Yeah, this I was reading that I'm like I love this. Now technically moons don't have the little extra satellites usually usually um but this one does. And why does it? Of course it does. It's got a little it's got its own little moon, basically, that just spins around it really fast and really crazy. Uh, it doesn't follow any specific cycle around the moon, but boy, does it fly around the moon really fast. And there, it, it, of course it does. That's its pet squig. Or oh. it's Gorka Marcus Macer's club or yeah. his fist. I just like that it's his pet squig. I kind of stopped right there with the highlighting. I'm like, that works. The bad moon itself is Gorka's head, and the satellite is Mork's, or perhaps vice versa. I mean, there's also. I like that they come up. It's. It, I could just picture them. No, by the way, so uh, did, have you listened at all to? The, um, I know they got the Stormcast. They got the Voxcast. They were yeah. doing the Voxcast. They had on some of the. They I think it was. Uh, was it Rob Credis who's doing the and they, or they're sitting they're sitting there just talking about when they get in and they start planning books and they mm-hmm. start throwing up all these things and I can just see him here throwing up all these ideas I'm like let's just throw up all of them it's not like Grotz or historians we'll just get whatever we throw anything that's clever throw it up there this is like a Simpsons sketch almost you know back when Conan was still writing for them it's just insane yeah there's a little bit and then the one I liked about this in particular. Is that the nose biter hordes of the Pointy Claws mountain range maintain that the smaller object is the spirit of an ancient Moon Clan chieftain who conquered eight great mountain peaks and was so blessed to accompany Gorkamarka's rampage through the skies for all time. So that's Skarsnik. Yeah, um, yeah, it is. It is definitely Skarsnik. <laughs> and that's why I like the idea of the moon being like the sole collection point. Um, because if they just kept reinventing things, um, I mean, then they kind of did with Scragrot, uh, but for them to like just tip the hat to what came before, even with just a small little mention, because um, Scarsnack was a character that I played with quite regularly um, way back yeah. when, and I, yeah. No, I, and I like that too. If you're going to bring back some of their stuff from the from the world that was bringing it back, this is this is the fashion in which just to a tip the just a tip the hat. Yeah, and that the stories <sighs> the stories have still remained from that from those times. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So you know that that was that was clever. I did like that as well. And then um, you know you can't. You can't predict where this thing's going, 
And as you said, it runs into other things, destroys other things. It, like, breaks all rules of celestial bodies and their movement in the skies, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but basically, all all Gloomspite leaders, all these... Um, all of these grots, they have one goal, and that is to, or they, they may have more than one goal, but they all share a goal, which is to usher in the ever dank. Um, and that's that's where you get um, all of this trying to figure out where it's going to be and get there and get enough of its attention that it will stay there forever, and 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 bring on the ever dank. Um. And then there's, and then it mentions Scragrot, the Loon King, because he is the. Uh, it says few have been able to to say where it's going to be, you know. Um, but Scragrot has picked out, now, predicted where it's going to be many times. Scragrot is a unique character because he actively seeks out and tries to capture seers, prophets. Um, and other scryers that have tried to calculate where the bad moon is and what it's going to do, and they lose their minds. So he captures them, and he locks them into his asylum, which is guarded by five dank-hulled Trogoths surrounding this own personal realm gate that he has, and this realm gate only goes to the asylum. And the only people that are allowed to go in there are himself and his personal Gabapalooza, which are the advisors. Otherwise, the Trigots would squish you because you're not getting anywhere near them. But he takes their manic ramblings and everything and puts it together, and he's been able to predict where the moon is going to come, but he's only done it a handful of times. But because dude, that's it's a lot. Still, yeah, comparatively speaking, it is a lot because you can't, get it right is it with how erratic it is. Or four? It was four or five. Um, he's only done it a few times, but that is a huge deal. So when they talk about, like, bosses will claim to have the clammy hand of the moon on them, but he's the closest one that can get it, I think. Yeah, no, he's, he's doing what other people can't do because he did it once and basically – was not about to have anybody say, well, sure, anyone can get lucky once. Mm-hmm. Well, he's got lucky four more. I think it said four more times. I could have sworn that's what I read, was it was yeah, four so more times. So it would be five total. Total of five times, which when you think about it isn't a lot. But when you're trying to predict something that makes absolutely no sense, it is a huge deal for him to get it right that many times. Yeah, it's absolutely a huge deal. And – um it's it, it's it's actually makes for a really fun story when you start to mm-hmm. see like what he does and how he's doing it and what he's trying to do. It, maybe he can do it. You know, it seems like he's figuring things out. Mm-hmm. It's hard to just keep saying he keeps getting lucky. You know. Yes. If I win the lottery once, you can say I'm lucky. If I win it twice, it's amazing. If I win it four or five times. Something's wrong. Now people are paying attention to me. You know what I'm saying? That's that's crazy. I just I, I uh, I'm, I'm, the the story in this is so much fun. It's hard. It's 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 hard to ignore the lure 
of oh, yeah. these types of armies. It's what I loved about the old orcs. And God, I didn't play them, but I liked them and I had fun with them because they were just so bananas. Like mm-hmm. I'd never have the patience to paint up a whole army of this. That's if I did, if I if I think I if I could do it, I would totally do it and play it all the time because this kind of insanity is my kind of playing. This is my kind of game. Um, the craziness and the randomness and the weirdness that goes with this. Um, I may not be great, but I can be kind of clever. Like that's their whole army is we can be really clever when the, when, when we need to be. And that, and a little bit of luck overrides just about everything else. Yeah. And for them, I forget which podcast got to this before we did, but all of they're them. not, a f- yeah, but they're not afraid anymore. When the gloom spike gets them, when the moon passes over, they get this hopped up energy. They're not afraid. They're still squishy and they'll still run like the Dickens, but they want to fight. They want to go up and get in there and teach people a lesson. But didn't they take do that over. when they would just get all hopped up on mushrooms? before they this. Well, that was a potion inducement to make them braver that's why they were like more anxious they were skittery they were more hopped up because they were actually like legit stoned okay but oh and here with, what you're saying is when this thing shows up it literally they, they that fear goes falls away and they actually become they want to be brave they want to go fight it's not a I have to use some sort of substance enhancement. This is... And that makes them dangerous, then. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Well, um... That's a pretty good intro. Uh, There are some other things, obviously, we need to cover. Um, Yeah. I want to get into, quickly, the bits of the Soul Wars and the different realms... And they don't get a space timeline, but they sure they get a good four solid pages of text mm-hmm. to run through some of their history. And we'll hit a bunch of that and just about everything else that we can get to. Um, oh, and then yeah, the breakdown of their of their other uh, armies work. We'll get to that next. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll jump into the second half of the lore, and uh, we should be able to finish that up pretty quick and then start getting into the uh, what makes this a fun army to play. So we'll be back in a minute. Folks, Chaos Orc Superstore, your one-stop shop for all your hobby gaming needs. They've not only got current and classic GW releases, Chessex Dice, and Vallejo Paints, but now they're also carrying Mantic, Infinity, Flames of War, Privateer Press, Soda Pop, Dark Age, and other assorted board and miniature-based games. They usually ship within 24 hours, and the model in the picture is the model they ship to you, because at Chaos Orc Superstore, what you see is what you get. Chaos Orc Superstore. 
And we are back with the Soul Wars and the Rise of the Bad Moon. Yes, yes. So, um, now these guys are part of the Destruction Army, which means they do want to destroy all the little bastions of civilization. They want to come out of the ground, and when the Bad Moon comes over them and they get that urge, like you were, we were saying before the break, and they come running out of the ground, they just want to kill everything. They get ri- just get everything in the way out, out of their way. Grab anything that looks shiny and pretty that you might like. <laughs> but it's still an idea of wrecking everything. They're making room so they can cultivate uh, their mushrooms and that their little squigs can grow big and fat and healthy. And um, that that's basically their plan. They really, I mean, they are forces of destruction for all of the <laughs> raising and farmer, farming that they do. Um this this is the plan is to just trash everything and there's still as in every single book that shows up that talks about Uruks and Grotz they're too puny to get a proper war going uh, their reedy voices can't bellow it loud enough so this uh, their equivalent is the gloom spite the urge to violence so they don't get up a big wah but they get the gloom spite which mm-hmm. is an urge to violence and a need to stab people in the back a little more often. Yeah. It replaces that fear that we talked about with them. Yep. Um, so they then talk about the Soul Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, that They kind of do a brief recap of where we are uh, with regards to the Soul Wars, how Nagash uh, completes his great work with the Necroquake, how Skaven screwed that up, and it unleashes all these bad omens and how the bad moon is one of them. And with the rise of the bad moon, it sends them into frantic motion that as never before. Now the fungoid cave shamans, they devour these death cat mushrooms and get the visions of a battle to end all battles. So they lead regular hordes of greenskins and ogres into the realm of death and to Nagashazar, and they actually make it to Nagashazar, where they're eventually stopped by Archon uh, before they could interrupt the Great Ritual. If they had not been distracted and started fighting each other, though, the book even says the Great Ritual might not... They might have stopped him. Yeah. But naturally, there's always infighting with Of course. Skins. I miss the old animosity role. I know it was. I know it wouldn't work so well in this in this book, and there's other things that sort of you know, you have that sort of sense of it. Mm-hmm. But I just, just the idea that I'm either going to sit here and do nothing or I'm just going to attack like insane towards everything else. It's just great. Um, it does mention here, one of the things I liked in this section about the Soul Wars is this is when it says the Bad Moon's erratic journey becomes a headlong rampage. That the Necroquake really did have some effect overall on the Bad Moon and just made it far more aggressive. I like that a lot. Um, I also love some of these uh, things that they talk about how much uh, damage and destruction they're able to do um, once they get going and they get caught up in the gloom spite. I mean, it's just a long list of 
names of battles that we've never really heard of and just the things that they did. But just when they start listing the odds that they're against and how they're just coming out of the ground and taking down entire units, entire groups of Stormcast Eternals or um, going through and destroying temples to Sigmar and all this stuff, you're like, oh, that's kind of crazy that they're able to do that much. Yeah, and they're rating specific targets, like trying to get particularly like the magic guys. Uh, they want the bottles because they use oh, them to oh make poison. So, like a bottle is a huge deal to these guys. They yes, that <laughs> that whole section about how they raid cities and they grab all sorts of shiny trinkets. Everybody likes shiny trinkets. But bottles are a huge commodity because you have they don't they don't make glass. Yeah, they don't make things. Yeah. At least not anything like this. And they need it to hold all the different poisons that they make. So raiding different factories or not factories, different places that make bottles. And then yeah, there's a story in here later that one, like you said, they raided one of the uh, the wizarding schools there again for all their bottles, and it became this huge battle mm-hmm. for bottles. For glass bottles. Oh, and then of course, um, with the bad moon, and they're trying to find out where the there where they go. This is the section where they talk about how the Stormcast Eternals are trying to do it. Grand Summoners of Zinch, Slan Star Masters. Nobody, the the Slan Star Masters cannot figure out what the deal with the bad moon is, like where it's going. Um, although the Skaven um, did. They are. They have a plan. They they do want to shoot it down, and they have rumors that they've done this before. Well, they did. They shot one of the moons down. They did in the end times. Yeah, yeah. They shot down the chaos moon, the giant thing of warp stone. Yeah, they because they're trying to usher that in. Yeah, and they're trying it again. There's rumors that it worked before. That's just an these. This this book in particular has lots of these little nods, mm-hmm. and I think it's easier for this book. Obviously, you're not going to get it with Stormcast so much because they're newer, even though you can have hints at characters that lived before. Um, yeah, Balthus. Yeah, and now what Cetrus is now making the rounds on Twitter. Someone poking a page from a book. <sighs> it's not Cetra. Good <laughs> Lord, people. Man but, is dead. Let him die. But the... Uh, these, I, I think, part of it is that the 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 stuff that the Skaven do and the stuff that the that the Grots do is so absurd that we. It's easier, I think, when when they remind you of of junk these guys did, you're like, oh yeah, and everybody knows those stories because they're insane, like shooting down the moon, mm-hmm. like taking over Karak Eight Peaks. Like, you know, just all... Well, that was easy, though. Uh, Don't you start. Do not start. I do find it funny that the first picture of miniatures in this book is Gloomspite against Fire Slayers. If you want to put another nod back. Oh, oh yeah. Look at that. Yeah. I think the big thing is, like, this army in particular, like, we've been waiting for a destruction book. For a very long time. We haven't had a new one in a while. That is absolutely true. And the ones that we've had, even though they're good, they're so limited. Yes. Whereas this one has so much fleshed out character. Yeah. 
and ver- it, you know it's just the variety that really escalates this book over whether you want to talk about the the iron jaws or the beast claw raiders or the um savage uh the bone splitters the bone splitters um that idea that we're going to take this one faction and focus on it always just makes it feel so limited you know uh, mm-hmm. And then you get this, and you're just like, uh, I, I think you're getting not just that it's a great book, but you're t- it's comparatively to everything else in Destruction, and you're just like, oh, this is the greatest book because it's it's just it is leaps and bounds over what they've done so far for Destruction. I think. Yeah, this is a book that a lot of us have been waiting for because it's actually it's the book. Yeah, it really is. So why don't we talk a little bit about where they live? There's just I want to talk briefly about in this section lairs, nests, and holes. Yes. So they're troglodytic, the one... and they use the word troglodytic. I love this book. <laughs> they are troglodytic, well, and their settlements are known as lurk lairs in tunnels and caves. The deeper, the better. Bioluminescent fungi. Elongated, elongated glow squeaks. Yep. Like, just this stuff that's like, oh, I would love to see pictures or like some sort of animated about where they live. This, the craziness that's down there. Um, the largest, okay, this one grabbed me. The largest lurklers stretch for miles underground, often cannibalizing the ruins of magma holds, karaks, skaven burrows, and accommodate millions of grots. Millions of grots, and I'm just looking at that going, this reminds you of the Skaven, those huge mm-hmm. underground Skaven lairs. It makes me start to wonder what, which one is more numerous. They're similar in very ways, in many ways, but they're definitely not the same, and it makes me wonder which one might be more numerous. It's, I would think to give it to the Skaven, but millions, millions. I think the scary thing is we don't know. Yeah. Because we don't necessarily know the reproduction process with grots. Some, like in 40K, I believe orcs are like sentient fungus, so they just kind of grow. Yeah, they're part plant, yeah. Yeah, we don't know how gloom spike, how the grots do it. Um, but Skaven, obviously, at least in the old world, I haven't read the new book yet, but they have uh, their breeding pits, and that's how their process goes. It's a little more traditional. But I don't know. But I think that's the scary part, too, is just you think about you just pass a mountain range or whatever. But then to think that there's millions of grots and squigs and trogets and bugs and everything under there that you just have no idea yeah. until the moon comes over and then everything comes pouring out. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, they just start. They, they, yeah, pour, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Everything so, seems quiet, and suddenly little holes are popping in here and there, opening up, and you're like, "Oh no!" Mm-hmm. So they dig into the deepest, darkest spots that they can get to. Um, the spider fang, their nests. Um, obviously, it's a spider. So they look at the shadow depths of woodlands or ancient ruins naturally you see a ruin there's always a spider web so it just becomes so much 
Um, and so thickly do these pale strands cocoon the rotting trees and crumbling pillars that they're almost like fortress walls because the webbing is so thick. Yeah. And the spiders and grots move through them through web tunnels and brood chambers like how you see with like a tunnel spider where their tunnel is just lined with web. Yeah. Um, and then the Tragoths take it one step further. They want the nastiest trog hole that they can find like reeking pools at the heart of swamps, lightless chasms, the deeper the hole, the darker the hole, the better the hole. Yeah. And that's where they live. And there's some of the stuff about them was pretty interesting too. Mm -hmm. Um, And we are going to definitely get to them a little more later, but we've hit the space timeline, although we don't get a space timeline because there's just a lot of text here. Yes. The age of myth, the age of chaos, all sorts of different ages. Anything stand out to you in the age of myth that you wanted to talk about? Uh, Boingob. Boingob, yep. Okay, I figured as much. Yeah, so this is a... Obviously, it's a story. We don't know if this is true. Um, of how Boingob, the god or the god beast father of all squigs, um, he got mad at the light of Hish. Because the sunlight hurt his beady eyes. So he jumps up and he tries to take a bite out of it. And he just burns. And he, his skull, smoldering, falls down. Blackened by fire so hot that even a deity could not endure them. And now his skull is like a sacred place. And they raise some of the most aggressive and deadly squigs. And that becomes like a stronghold there in Gyrand that they just raise really nasty squigs, but obviously you're raising them in the skull of a god beast. So yep. that kind of energy would be permeating into the things that are created there. Boing gob. Mm-hmm. I love it though. Yeah. Um, so then, you, okay, you get all sorts of the bad moon is seen only rarely in the age of age of myth, um, and then they tell it almost manages to bite off Dracothian's head. It defecates spore comets that destroy the sentinel spheres, and then its head budding rampage through the herald stars destroys a thousand prophesied fates forever. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just it's the, the goofiest bits of stories that go through uh, the stuff in the age of myth. Um, they it, also. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Under the Fork Trail, they uh-huh. talk about other subtribes of Grots vanish into even harsher environments, some to deep marshes, others under the waves, while those that would eventually become the airborne Grot bag scuttlers vanish up mountainsides and away above the clouds. There could be more different types of Grots coming. And they set the stage right here. Yep. And I know a lot of people have been waiting for the idea of Grotbag Scuttlers, similar to the Caradron Overlords. And here they mention it again. Just a, just a tease. The actually, people like pirate greenskins. To be fair, there is nothing wrong you said with that sentence. No, there's not. Pirate greenskins is cool as heck. And they even mentioned it in the Iron Jaws book when we did that review, is that there was these like flying hulks of iron with... Uh, iron jaws on it. 
Right. So they have the it, the possibilities are endless. Right. Um, this when we get into the age of chaos is when a lot of them go underground and stay underground. Um, the bottle thief story is in here. Mm-hmm. The there's a, a it, really it says from the fortress of alchemists in Shaman. They find a tunnel burrowed, and they start. They send expeditions down there, and only one guy comes back, and he is acting all crazy, raving about the grots. They listen to him, and they're like, "This does not, this isn't right." Uh, eventually, they flood the lowest levels of the fortress with molten metal. The guards are tripled, and then the alchemists determinedly forget about this whole sorry business. Like, they realize something, but all, literally all of their bottles get stolen, and they find this hole, and everyone they send down there comes back. And one guy comes back, like, all crazy-eyed, saying the insane stuff he found, and they're like, that's nonsense. But on the safe side, we're just going to completely fill this with melted metal. Let it cool. Let it solidify. We'll triple the guard around that hole, and uh, we'll pretend like nothing ever happened. Mm-hmm. Oh, Sounds right. Yep. And then Peak of Peril. There's your story. Yeah. You got to take this one? Uh, sure. So, an airborne plunder fleet out of Barak Khazar. Um, they go through the immense bulk of the Evermount in the Realm of Beasts. And there they get attacked by the Gloomspite hordes that overtakes them. And before they are able to cast off, the Greenskins swarm aboard the airships, and several weeks later, they show up at Berk Khazar uh, using the captains that have been enslaved to steer the boats until they take off and start riding through. And I think the moon uh, was actually taking over at that time, because the skies darkened, yeah. And the twisted visage of the bad moon looms vast and near. They take over. And Peter Khazar is overrun. Um, and then. The moon city. Yeah. And this is, again, assisted by Grotbag Scuttlers. Mention that again. Yep. Are those those things from. Uh, those weird little spider grots from uh, the. Uh from Silver Tower? Yeah. Those are Grot Scuttlings. Oh, okay. Those are a little different. Okay. They're still... They're that happy marriage between Spider Fang and Moon Clan. Because, like, when you paint the miniature, they each have four eyes. Uh-huh. And they have eight legs. Nice. So there's some sort of weird twisted variant between the two. Gotcha. But... Yeah. All right, so then we we get into uh, we get into the age of Sigmar, and there's a bunch of stories in here. Uh, Unstoppable idiocy is one of the best. Um, mm-hmm. This is the stuff that makes me makes me uh, like the the Trogoths. Um But basically, this you know this this Trog boss just gets up and takes off, and nobody knows exactly when we get to Trogoths, We'll talk about this more, but. They find a deep dank hole and then they go to sleep and they go to sleep for decades or centuries and then they wake up and they're usually of different sizes than they when they went to bed. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they wake up and they're a lot of times bigger and nastier and hungry and so they just take off walking and they seem to have some sort of psychic power over the other 
uh, Trogoths because Trogoths are completely loners. But once this starts happening, boom, here they go. And he just starts walking. He goes through a town, just literally goes right through. Just They're moving forward. Anything that gets it. It's, I try to picture this in my head when they talk about these things. So basically, they're just wandering forward in one big group, just sort of plodding along until they come up to something. And then they get really quite agitated and quite frenzied and smash and eat all of it and then just keep, and then keep moving. Yeah, it's the uh, Forrest Gump effect. <laughs> yeah. He just gets moving and he just starts going and everybody starts to follow him. Yeah. And it's a straight line. They don't really deviate. They just move in that line and smash anything in that line and they're going somewhere for who knows the reason. It doesn't make any sense. It's just Trogs are going. Yeah. And then basically they go through the all the little outposts. Then they smash through the outer defenses of the city. Then they go through the city, but they don't go through the stuff. They don't go through everything. There are a lot of times when they got defenses set up and they just walk right past them because that's not what they're going for. That's not the direction they're going in. So basically they kind of wise up and just clear them a path to try to get everything out of the way. And they start to, they get to the docks and they walk off the docks and it's like, huh? And then they, they're underwater. Whoop, what am I doing underwater? And everybody thinks they're dead because they just literally walked off the edge of the pier and into the water. Except now, now there are rumors coming from the other side, the far shore of the sea. And those places over there that Trogus are coming weed covered and dripping out of the water. <laughs> they literally just walked across the ocean. The big dumb dummies. And now they're yes. coming up on the other side and still moving. Mm-hmm. So bizarre. But those are trogs. Yep. I like I like them. I like how weird they are. Mm-hmm. Um which one of these? Uh, any of these other ones jump at you? Uh, the Strange Loot. Okay. I liked Once Upon a Bad Moon. You got Strange Loot. Go ahead. Once Upon a Bad Moon. Love it. Um, so, Warlock Engineers of the Skaven Clan Scryer, they uproot a loon shrine and take it back to Blight City, which is the essentially the new version of Skaven Blight. Um, and they think, oh, this will be great. We've got a new power source. But then it starts to glow furiously and belching uh, spores and squig eggs. Now, I don't know if those are actual squig eggs. Um, because squig eggs are also a mushroom that are just found in the dens of squigs. So, not really sure if the squig is born of said mushroom, regardless. Um, but within hours, three lab warrens are overrun with squiggly beasts and weird mushrooms, and the infestation continues to spread. So the chief warlocks declare this overrun region of Blight City as a new weapons testing zone <laughs> to try to keep it down from becoming a significant problem. <laughs> yep. I liked, uh, like I said, I liked Wish Upon a Bad Moon. You've got chaos coming and attacking the Sylvaneth, and the Sylvaneth are praying for deliverance when the bad moon shows up overhead, and hordes of Grots and Trogoths fall uh, up all upon the chaos 
Bloodbound that are just making this. Uh, and they start trashing them. And they trash them. And they basically wipe each other out practically. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then... <laughs> As as all the as all the forest Sylvaneth are, are 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 giving praise to the gods for their salvation, the bad moon spits out a bunch of loonstone meteors that just slam in and destroy everything. So <laughs> after the battle, everyone's like, "Oh, we lived, we made it. Those things took each other out. This is awesome." Nope. Yeah, he just talks a loogie of meteors and destroys everything. Typical, typical stuff. It's spite. That's all it is. Exactly. No, no, no. Nothing good is coming out of this, Patui. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is we're going through this, I do like the little interjections of all the different types of mushrooms. Yes. And the little fun little pictures. It just definitely adds a lot of character to this book. Oh, yeah, in the center of the pages where they got the little centipede thing that's walking with, the, they got stuff tied to it. Mm-hmm. Stink cranny fungi, stink cranny. So such a disgusting odor. Even squigs avoid them. Known as squig eggs, these fungi are sure to be found wherever the toothy creatures make their dens. Yeah, and then the last one on here that you see is the bad loon boss fungus, which is the mark of the bad loon's favor. It grows, but rarely. And only about the personage of one who feels a clammy hand. Scragrot has one of these on the top of his staff. That's right. Yeah. So if there's ever a question about who this guy really is and just how powerful he is, the answer is in the mushroom that grows off of his staff. Yeah, and well and then the crown of mushrooms growing out of his out of his head. That too, but <laughs> This mushroom in particular is really what it's about. Yeah, that's a sign of his favor, and it's growing literally on the symbol of your power. That, Yep, that works. Mm-hmm. So um, should we talk makeup of their, basically, their sort of kind of the makeup of their armies, the general ideas at least? Sure. So Moon Clan Grotz get together to, to cause trouble and shank some unfortunate victims. That's a skull mob. Skulk mob. A skulk mob, sorry. It's a skulk mob. So a bunch of grots is a skulk mob. A bunch of skulk mobs is a scrap. So this mm-hmm. is like fingers and fists almost, except for much more tiny, weedier creatures. Yes. Um, and then scraps can give all sorts of stuff mixed into it. Um, you got cave squigs running up, running up the flanks. In case anyone wants to try anything clever. Um, mm-hmm. Lots of numbers, lots of things coming around. Um, you, you could dump out a whole lurk layer and make that, that could wind up being a scrap. Yeah, that's what it's typical. Um, and these are led into battle by, uh, obviously, whichever grot has been able to sneak, connive, murder the way to the top of the heap, along with his lieutenants. Um so it's generally a loon boss advised by a gaggle of shamans. Uh, so it's generally the case like a shaman can take over, but it just kind of depends on how they can sneak around. Yep. Um, and then they talk a little bit about the uh, spider fang uh, raiders as well, because they're slightly different. Because when you live with the spiders, you do everything the spider way. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So these guys, you get the big arachnids that have the grots on their backs, the cavalry, um, which um, the, they do indicate that the nests, and it's called the nest, um, as we mentioned before, um, that the reputation and judged is really by, like, their power is determined by how many arachnox they can call on, because the more arachnox they have, obviously, the higher they are in the favor. Um, and the shamans are the ones that lead the stock tribes, and then the big, nasty bosses, called scuttle bosses, are like just war directors, really. But the actual power behind them is the web spinner shamans. Right. Because they have the venom of the spider god that flows through their veins. Because part of their process is they get bit. And intentionally bit by all these spiders. And they get like their hallucinogenic states. Very similar to how the moon clan shamans get it. But they get it through spider venom. Yeah. Which, it's, it's a little crazy. And then what do we got? Um, the rest of it is talking about the when they actually unleash the gloom spite, when the bad moon is ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, you you get when the when the gloom spite shows up, like you said, they lose their fear. Plus, it they just get on edge. It's not just that they get a, they get aggressive, mm-hmm. and. All of a sudden, this is where you start to see uh, the loons, as they put it, start coming out. Um, yeah, these are the nuts, like, yeah. by comparison. So these are, like, nomadic bands of Moon Clan grots, and they try to leap right over the bad moon or to bite it, which is in direct violation of, like, Moon Clan tradition. So they get cast out, and they essentially form these stampeding squigglanches. Um, and they chase after the bad moon to try to jump over it or try to bite it to prove that they are trying to get attention in a similar manner that Gorka Morka did. Yeah. So, what else have we got here? Yeah, and it goes over like what Scragrat's army looks like um, and just some neat little things about um, his high Palooza, what makes up each one of the armies. Um, and this is just one of the armies that came out of the ground when he took over his right. area that eventually becomes Scrappus Bill. Um, so, yeah. I mean, it's neat, and they do talk about... Actually, we should probably... Do we want to take a break, or do we want to move on to the Gloom Spite Hordes of Note? Well, that's that's actually all there is before we would have to take a break anyway, so we might as mm-hmm. well do that. Uh, and this this actual section just kind of talks about um, some of the different uh, types of uh, gloom spite hordes you'll see in different in the different realms. Because as the realms as they're in different realms, you're definitely going to get some different effects. Because it depends on where you're growing your mushrooms. I mean, literally, mm-hmm. you got these different realms of the different type of ground, different things going on, and that will affect it. And you see that really right in these these four pages here. Do you just want to hit a few highlights? Um, sure. Uh, the anyone's that stand one, out for, as your favorites? The two that got me were the bad snatchers and the jaws of Mork. 
Um, so the Bad Snatchers are based in Olgu, um, and it's consisted of seven different Lurk layers, um, overseen by Agwats the Magnificent, and yeah. they think they've already ushered in the Everdank because they live in Olgu, and it's shrouded <laughs> in mist, it's dark, and it's kind of nasty already. They're like, no, no, we got it. We're done. Like, we're good. So they tend to raid the surface world on a more regular basis because it is already dark and a little danker for them to run around about in. So he thinks that um, he's already got this. Scragrod is a joke. We've already done it. And he leads his armies, like, aggressively out into the different realms. Um, yeah. And then that's out of Olgu. But conversely, from the realm of life, you get uh, the loons of the Overbounder, who is essentially this masked loon boss that rides around on a pair of mangler squigs. Um, he goes incognitoes because oh, he's going right. to be more likely to sneak up on the bad moon and leap right over it without him seeing coming air, proving that he is the most cunning and he is the best, as it were. But he hides his face because he's incognitoes. Yep. Um, I thought the story from the realm of fire was interesting. Um, with, the smotherers, yeah, the grand smother dowser. Um, he thinks that this whole realm of fire, a lot of this stuff, is is because of Glareface Frazzlegit, and so he doesn't like Glareface Frazzlegit. So he goes around literally just putting out as much fire uh, or anything like that as he can see, which has led him into lots of fights with Zinch peoples, with uh, the Clan Scryer, uh, the Fire Slayers, you know, the Magma Holds. They're going around just literally, they said if they can extinguish all the fire, then they will weaken Glareface Frazzlegit to the point where they could bring in the Bad Moon and totally destroy it. Um, like I said, there's stories from every realm in here, and there's some mm-hmm. really fun stuff um like you were saying uh the one in shaman it sounds like they have little parasails like they catch the yeah the glint fang yeah um they also talk because about- that's how the little spiders get out from their nest for a lot of them is they just do the little web of sailing like yeah. you see at the end of charlotte's web right uh, because they and uh, and I liked how the different spiders in different areas, depending on the realm they're in, will also affect what their web is like. Mm-hmm. And um, the in 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 Shaman, the uh, vast majority of spiders, their silk is can can be turned into something closer resembling metal cabling. And then uh, I like all the talk talk about the trog herds, uh, especially the Dankhold trogoths. And how they how they coagulate into something that could generously be termed an army, but then again, like this is just it's it's crazy how they just get up and then it's they say it's like a slow motion avalanche. It just keeps going through stuff, and um, some stuff is destroyed and some stuff across the street is untouched because it's not in their path. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like the, the the thing that really stuck out to me with it is like the little theories that I like. Uh, they think that the trog herds are following routes the Bad Moon has already taken, or 
are following paths that the, they're preparing the way for the bad moon mm-hmm. as they're clearing things out in front of it as they're walking. Yes. Um, and that's that's basically pretty much all of the lore. Uh, outside of the lore for the different characters, which we'll get into when we start going over, um, you know, as, as we kind of cover, go, go through some of the scrolls and the rules and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. All right, then we will be back in a moment. Okay, listeners, what's the number one rule of hobby gaming? Okay, well, the number one rule of hobby gaming is don't buy more models than you can paint, but we all break that rule constantly. So what's the real number one rule of hobby gaming? Support your friendly local gaming store. And my friendly local gaming store is Lindsay's Gamer Garrison in Wakanda, Illinois. No, not that Wakanda. And no, not that Lindsay. So why Lindsay's Gamer Garrison? What do they have to offer? First, they carry everything Games Workshop. 40K, AOS, Blood Bowl, Necromunda, Kill Team, all the paint line. They even have Black Library books. They offer special discounts every day. And if you do go in there and there's something out of stock, special order discounts that you won't believe. After you buy all your models, feel free to stay and paint them at their fully stocked, totally free to use painting station. And then, once your army's ready, sign up for one of Lindsay's monthly tournaments. That's right, they have a local one-day event every single month, alternating between 40K and AOS. And that's still not all. Monday is Build and Paint Day. Come in on Monday, work on your latest project, you get a raffle ticket. Come in and play Warhammer on Saturday, get a raffle ticket. Now, what's the raffle? Every month. Two winners receive a $50 gift card to use on GW products just for coming in and playing and painting and being part of the community. And that's not even all you get for coming in and being a part of the community. Come in for that Saturday gaming where you get a raffle ticket. You also earn a Lindsay's Gamer token. And when you have eight tokens, you can turn them in and get free entry into one of the tournaments that I just mentioned earlier. And that's why I love Lindsay's Gamer Garrison. Fully stocked with all the GW product you could want, and they're doing their best to reward you for being part of the gaming community. What more could you ask for? A place to play, a place to build, a place to paint, a place to hang out, and a place that rewards you for being there. Folks, if you're looking for one place that will satisfy all your hobby needs, you have to come and see Lindsay's Gamer Garrison in Wakanda, Illinois. And we are back. We're back talking some game time. Game time here. In some background and some individual unit entries, there's a lot to cover in this book. There is a lot. We're going to try to cover it in a way that is as streamlined as possible. It'll probably fail, but that's okay. We're trying. All right. So, Allegiance Abilities, if you're playing a Bad Moon Army... Um, their allegiance ability is that the bad moon rises. 
Yeah, and there's a lot of different things that go into this. So we should probably start with the moon. Um, so how you work the moon out is that at the start of the first battle round, before determining who has the first turn, the player with the Gloom Spite army picks a corner of the battlefield to set as the starting location of the moon. Um, if you're both playing Gloom Spite, then you roll off and the winner picks the starting location. There's, so, no, there's not two moons. There's not two moons. There is only one bad moon, no matter how many groups it gets or playing. Mm-hmm. Now, so it's... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. But basically, the, it's going to start in one corner and go to the opposite corner. Yes. Over the course on of the game. On a diagonal path, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's moving across the sky. There's mechanics to it and stuff, but it's going to start in one corner of the board, and if it moves its full course during the course of the game... It will end when it hits the opposite corner. Correct? It says when a move takes the BAM to the opposite edge of the battlefield, it's then removed, and it doesn't affect the game anymore. So once it's off the table, you are off. Yeah. I mean, basically, each when it, said, it, when it starts in the first corner, it doesn't affect the table either. So it, when, it, right. when it's at the corners, it doesn't affect the table. So when it gets to the other corner, it's done. But it, that's, it's just making that one move. It's not going to start zigzagging and jumping and moving this way and that way and the other way. Mm-hmm. Okay, I got it. So, Yeah, it's just a straight move, corner to corner. Um, so you pick the corner, and that's where it starts. And then starting from the second battle round on, before determining who goes first, the moon moves. On a one, it you roll a dice. And on a one, it doesn't move. On a two through five, it makes one move, so it essentially goes to the center of that first uh, table quarter. If you roll another one, it goes to the center of the board, um, so forth and so on. So essentially, it only is on the table for five turns if you can make it last that long. But if you roll a six, it makes two moves, so you could potentially have it off the board at the start of the third turn. Yeah, that kind of sucks. This is where you don't want to roll a six, which is so weird to say that you don't want sixes, but this is the time where you don't want to roll sixes. And this reminds you of the animosity chart again. On a one, bit, yeah. on one, it doesn't do anything. On two through five, it does what it should do, which is just mm-hmm. move it at regular pace through the across the game board. And on six, it's jumping ahead like a maniac. Yep. So. so so if you do this right, if it just moves one space every turn, then at the start of turn two, it'll move from the corner to the middle of the quadrant, the, the, the table quarter, right? Mm-hmm. Then it moves on turn three. If it moves one again, then it's in the center of the board. Then the next turn, turn four, it should move to the center of the uh, next table quarter the opposite of the, for the opposite corner. And then start a turn five, it moves forward one more, and that puts it into the opposite corner, which means it's off the board and it's done. So it's 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 similar in uh, the ideal almost of the 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 Idenith waves going yeah, through. Yeah, the high tide and then the or the tides of death and then the uh, murderous rites for the daughters of Cain. So similar kind of effect where it Depends on the battle round, but this is random, depending on the battle round. So Yes. But once it affects, or once it's on the table, it affects um, whatever quadrant for models wholly within 
the same quarter of the battlefield as the moon. But if the moon is on the middle, then it affects the table. Yes. So that turn when it's in the middle is essentially like the high tide turn for the Deepkin. That's when everything just goes completely bananas. Um, and you do get a lot of things if the moon is affecting you. There is a lot of stuff that is affecting you when it goes through here. Um, <laughs> it, it's actually pretty simple. Um, and really only one or two. I mean, it, it, it there's, what, seven different things? However, only... Uh, a couple of them sort of would affect almost everything. Then a, mm-hmm. a couple of them are specific to army types. Yes. Um, but it's can, not so army types, it's model types. Or, yeah, model types. Or however you build up, yeah. You, you, if it's you, based on the keyword, yeah. Right. So um, the first one is the one that kind of does for everything. Um, if it's a Gloom Spite army at the start of your hero phase, pick an enemy unit, roll a die. If it's equal to or less than the number of models in the unit affected by the light of the bad moon, it takes D3 mortal wounds. So every turn... models wholly within that quarter. So, right. So it's got to be wholly... But, uh, well, unless it's in the middle of the table and then it's anyone on the table. And right. basically, basically every turn it's on the table, there's a potential to deal out D3 mortal wounds to, mm-hmm. uh, to a unit. Because, of course... And then, um, but it won't affect the first turn. If it, you're starting it in your in a defensive position, right? If it's behind you, it won't affect anything. Turn one, real turn one or two, unless it makes a double move. So you don't necessarily get that until later in the game. But it's well, an you extra don't get splash. anything until turn two because you're not getting anything turn one because it's on the corner. It doesn't do anything. But yeah, if you're, your enemy if would you're, have to be coming up quick. Yeah, and if you're playing it defensively when it's behind you, then you're generally not going to get anything that turn one or that turn two from the right. fangs at least. Um, and then everything else goes with certain things. Um, plus one to casting rolls for wizards if they're gloom spite gets minus one if you're not a gloom spite get wizard. So mm-hmm. either in the either in the quadrant or in the whole board depending on where it is. Um. So, gloom spite. Everything in this book has the gloom spite get keyword. Uh, yes. Keyword, right? So yeah. So this one, if your general is a gloom spite get, uh, he you get an extra command point. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's like there's all sorts of crap you just start getting. Um, squigs. Uh, can charge and run or run and charge. Uh, Moon Clan Grotz get plus one attack. You get to reroll hit rolls of one. Oh, I'm sorry, reroll hit rolls of one. I, I, my notes. I was reading the wrong notes there. Yeah, and that's for Moon Clan Grot models. So they have to have the Moon Clan and Grot keyword. So squigs don't usually double up. Right. For like the Boing Grots or uh, the Hoppers. Um, Spider Fang, uh, the Venom. Works on an unmodified five instead of an unmodified six, a five up instead of a six. So the venom gets d- doubles down, and Tragus, uh, you can reroll how many wounds you heal by regeneration, or you can double the wounds if you like your first roll. You get to reroll the dice to see how many to see if you heal wounds. 
And if you do heal naturally, then you can double the number of wounds that are healed. Oh, why am I reading all this wrong? I suck. Yes, we know. That's why you have me. Um, <laughs> when this book came out, there were a lot of people asking, it's like, well, why does it say if your general has the gloom spike gets keyword? Um, because wouldn't your army naturally have the gloom spike gets keyword and it would only affect you? But it's like, well, what if you're playing against another gloom spike character or again, a gloom spike army? So it has to read it that it could affect both players' armies. Right, right, right. I kind of wondered that at first, too, and then I was like, oh, wait, that's why. I actually thought it was cold. I thought that maybe the trog boss wouldn't have that keyword, but then I was like, no, of course he does. That's stupid. Yeah. So They all have it, but that's yeah. okay. But that's all. That's their allegiance ability. Depending on where the moon is, you're going to get some bonuses. It's... There's a lot of little things and a lot of cool stuff and things that wind up can, you know, eventually going with other abilities and other things they have. You can get weird little combos and stacks, but it all has a, it's got a bit of anarchy to it. Like, it's just, I hate using the term chaos because it has a different meaning in this game, but it's chaotic. Mm-hmm. You know, it depends on where the moon is. It depends on what's happening here, what's happening there, but just weird crap is going to happen at some point somewhere on the board. I think the word to use is lunacy. Uh, there you go. Some sort of lunacy is going to happen somewhere on the board almost every turn. Mm-hmm. And that's, <laughs> that works. I like it. I like how it works, and I like how it's it's got some simple rules. It's just where the moon is is going to increase how much, how much it affects. Mm-hmm. Now... <sighs> There are 24 command traits. Yes. There are uh, 18 artifacts of power and 12 spells. Um, no. No. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I would love to talk about a few of these things and see what you think is good, because as I went through them, a lot of stuff sounds pretty cool, but I'm not 100% certain how everything's going to mix up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't want to necessarily go through everything. Uh, for the loon bosses, honestly, I'm looking at this. I kind of like tough and leathery, giving them two extra wounds. It depends because there's two. There's four variants of a loon boss. There's one on foot by himself, one on foot with a great cave squig, one on the back of a great cave squig, and then the loon boss on a mangler. So, yeah, so, okay, maybe the Squig Rider guy doesn't necessarily need two extra wounds because um, he does have, like, 12. Yeah, but uh, there's a – no, there is a but. Um, so with the when we get to the Loon Boss and Mangler Squig's profile, right. um, he's got the best profile when he's not wounded or when he's almost dead. Yeah, I like that. That's kind of clever. So, with the two extra wounds, it prolongs his best profiles, so, so he gets the most uh, the most and bestest attacks for a longer period of time with the extra wounds. Okay, okay. Now, uh, now I mean, it was that, and I kind of liked the clammy hand. Mm-hmm. Um, being able to use this, the ability, which we didn't get to, of the uh, the Loon Shrine, 
which is the ridiculously oversized piece of terrain. Oh, it's awesome. It is awesome, but it's it's pretty big. Yeah, um, but the, I don't okay. Know. Can I just say the army specific rules terrain pieces are getting out of hand? Are they? Yes. I'm, Why? I, I'm planting my flag. Don't, I'm planting my flag. Change my mind. Don't at me. They're 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 so large. They're huge. And okay. now everybody's toting around this big jamoki piece of terrain. And it's like I'm already trying. Like you go to a tournament, they're trying to get tables loaded up with the proper amount of terrain, and you got to find a place to squeeze in your piece of terrain. And then the other guy's got a piece of terrain. And then those God blessed Sylvaneth players come and try to drop down twenty seven forests and make you not even want to play the game anymore. You just want to stomp on their models and go home and be like, I quit. That that yeah, changed my mind. I got nothing for you, man. You're a lost cause. Um, <laughs> I personal now. I think the big ones that are like the quote unquote big offenders are like Sylvaneth and Deepkin on this portion. Okay, because Nurgle they make trees as the battle goes on, sure, but they are smaller terrain well, features. Those are small. Yeah, I'm not Nurgle. Nurgle don't count because it's there. Those uh, no Nurgle don't count. They but make Nurgle all this like terrain. The first one that had the terrain that affected no. The, who had it before? Sylvaneth. Oh, that's right. They had the trees. Yes, and everybody hated that, and it was obnoxious. And then they're like, Do you know oh, look. why people hate that? Because it's obnoxious. Because it's three up to three stands of trees. Yeah. Is really what the kicker is, and those things are huge. Yeah. Whereas the Nurgle trees are small, they don't take up that big of a footprint. The Deepkin boats are big, but there's only two of them, and they have the flexibility to break one in half. So, okay, that's fine. And then what else is there? There's a hard stone, which doesn't take up that much space, but its impact grows and grows. Mm-hmm. Stormcast and Nighthunt didn't get one. And now you have Gloomspite. They have their one big train feature. It is big, not going to argue, but it's one. Well, and then you look well, okay. at... The Sylvaneth problem, though, it's not a problem that they got three. It's a problem that one is... is a, it's, it's the size of the three. Honestly, if it was three and their thing was the size of one of those little Nurgle trees, mm-hmm. not so bad. Yeah, it's just the amount of space that those things take up. And that that's yeah, and they're just getting they seem to be getting bigger and crazier. Okay, and then the throne for the flesh eater courts is small. It's not terribly much bigger than a herdstone. And then the Skaven gnaw holes, yeah, there's three of them, but they have to be on the edges of the battlefield. This just seems to be a lot. And now everybody's going to be playing with them, except the Stormcast, which is fine, because the Stormcast have everything else on the planet to play with. Or are you just jealous that you don't have one I'm playing jealous, Death or Stormcast? The, jealousy is not in me, my friend. I am at Buddy, peace with all I, the races. That is a lot of crock right there. And it is, honestly, the thing is, if I was going to make another army, I'm looking at, I would want to either make, I said, that Brass Stampede, still don't need one. Or the Iron Jaws, the the, the, the Bronze Stampede, as I, I don't remember what it's called, but I just know it's a lot of big pig riders. The Gorefist. There you go. That one. Or now, if I'm looking at this book, I'm like, 
I'm just going to build a troll army and still skip all that stuff. I don't know. I think you want the shrine for trolls, but that's just me. Ah, you think so. I do. See, you act like you understand this book and that you've played it before and that you're the great player. I get it. I understand. I'm that. not the great player. No, actually, but you kind of are, but that's okay. Yeah, pish. All right, anyway. so outside of the two-wound characteristic, um, I like the clammy hand. And like I said, I like that because that uh, that Loon Shrine rule is pretty good. Like, I mean, it only comes into effect when you're losing units, but you're going to lose units. These guys are pretty weedy. Yeah. Um, so, although I, I I don't like investing in something that only kicks in when I'm when I'm losing a lot, you know, because that's mm-hmm. going to be the assumption that I'm going to be losing a lot. I still think the clammy hand might be pretty good. The other ones may you know, they may be pretty. Is there something that stands out that I'm missing here? There are two. For God's sake, there always are. Uh, the first of which is dead shouty. Um, so once per battle round. Mm-hmm. The general can use a command ability on their war scroll without spending a command point. It's it's a free command point. And that's good. Every but... battle round. That's five free oh. command points. Oh, one for battle only... round. Yeah. I missed the word round. See, this is why I miss things. I thought it yeah, was one so for it's... battle. That, uh, no. Oh, so they get a free command point every round? For their command ability on their war scroll. Okay, for their general, but still. Yeah, it's essentially five free command points, um, but it has to be used for that particular command ability, which none of them are bad. Um, And then the other one is Fight Another Day, which is like the James Bond one. Um, I know Russ had already made that joke, but it just, it works. So when when the general fights, after they fight, they get to make a 2d6 move. And they have to finish more than three inches away from an enemy. So if you charge in, chances are you're going to hop more than three inches away on the 2d6 roll. So so you go in, you hit like a truck, particularly if you're on a mangler squig, and then you just hop away and say, no, 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 can't hit me. Interesting. I saw that one and I liked it. I just didn't know. Because I kept looking at a lot of them. And if you're not on the mangler squig, you only got like a five-inch move. Yeah, so, I mean, it's uh, not... That one in particular is gnarly for a squig boss, um, especially like a loon boss and a mangler. But the other ones, you just have a, you have good options for how you want to play the grots. Okay. Uh, any of the wizard ones? Um, the one that I like the most out of here is the boss shaman. That's so the he one gets, I had picked out, too. It seemed like that would be a, a good thing to add to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that one is you get the I'm the boss, now stab him good command ability from the loon boss. Uh, so for that one, it's you pick a unit wholly within uh, 24 inches, and if they roll a six to wound unmodified, it's a mortal wound. So, so you're essentially getting two characters in one package just right. by taking this command trait. Yeah. That's the one that I had marked as well. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you, what do you about... Uh, we got spiders and Trogoth heroes still here. So scuttle bosses. Um, I'm looking at that four-inch 
well, see, it's four inches to the general's move. And I'm like, okay, that's good. But then I'm like, wait a minute. Um, I don't know how great that would be since a lot of the little abilities and things uh, are around the thing. But then they got the monstrous mount, double the mortal wounds that are inflicted by the general's spider venom ability. Yeah. Now, isn't there something else that can multiply the spider's venom? Yeah. When we get into the uh, army itself. You and, can multiply. And so suddenly, like, the rest of the spiders are doing a, a bonus, but your general is doing, like, a stupid amount then. Yeah. Now, the tricky part on this one is that it's implying that the mount is particularly deadly, but it's the model's spider venom, which also affects the guy's spear, because they both have it. Right. So that one's kind of weird by the implication. Um but you also, the big one on here is uh, Masterful Spider Rider because it makes that spider move a lot faster so he gets to where he needs to be to pop command abilities, keep the army moving. Um, fortunately, Scuttle Bosses cannot go on the back of Arachnorox. Otherwise, that might be a little ridiculous. Right. Um, yeah. And then it, the Creeping Assault, I like this one. Uh, just because anything to screw with your opponent's save. So enemies do not get cover against attacks made by friendly spider fang while they're wholly within 12 of the general. While the friendly unit is wholly within 12 of the general. So that one, spider fang don't hit particularly hard. They don't have a lot of rend outside the arachnorox. So for them to take something away, even if it's just cover, is enough to help them. Yeah. See, and th- I thought that would that one might be pretty good. Um, I thought it would actually be better than the um, than the ones per battle get an extra command point because I misread it. Mm-hmm. So that's some cool stuff. Uh, the the Trogoths, um they've got some cool stuff in here. They're all cool. All <laughs> yeah. six of them are legit contenders. Reroll the dice determines the... De- now, on the club, if I roll and I get four hits and it's D6, I roll once to see how many the D6 is, right? No, no, no. no. You roll for each one? Yes. So then you can reroll any of those dice when you roll. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. It's just like anything. If you take 43, you roll four D3. Okay, right. So when you said reroll the dice that determines the damage characteristic, I just, for some reason made made it sound like there was just the one roll. It's each attack does its own different damage characteristic, but the Trog boss has a D6 damage characteristic on his club. So yeah. it's potentially like house wrecking right there. Um, yeah, he's got a lot of good ones, even if it's just the simple like plus two wounds or... He always counts as being affected by the light of the bad moon. So he's always getting a command point. He's always getting the regeneration. So he's got some neat effects on yeah. just that loon skin one. The magic uh, the magic resistance. Because mm-hmm. they get a four up just to ignore magic stuff half the time. They're yeah. nice to re-roll that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. Everything on this is pretty good. I like the Trog Boss. 
Yeah. He's a legit general. And when we get into it, like, the basic grots, the stabbers and the shooters, are just flat battle line for Gloomspite gets. So even if you take a Trog boss as your general to unlock Trogs' battle line, you don't have to do all Trogs. But you can take this awesome Trog boss as your general. Yeah. You can take all Trogs if you want to. You can just literally do that. Although if you want to be holding objectives and stuff, you may want to have some... But if you don't want to buy and paint all them little robed gets, you can just have a bunch of trolls. Mm-hmm. And I like that idea. Should we talk artifacts of power? Probably should. All right. Um, for the loon bosses, I like the backstabber blade. Yep, that's a good one. Um, this one, this one is good against guys who have all sorts of great uh, defense. Because on this one. Uh, pick one of the weapons. If the unmodified hit roll is a six, the save automatically fails. Do not even roll the dice. Mm-hmm. So I, I just like that whole idea. I can just get it right in there. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna sneak up behind you and put this between your ribs, no matter who you are. Um, that I just, I like that one a lot. Which ones? Which one of the loon boss ones did you like? Or uh, there there are two that I particularly care for. Uh, the pipes of doom, so you get to subtract one from the bravery characteristic of enemy units while they are within twelve of him. Uh, so that I think is good on a support loon boss, maybe not your general, depending on your general, mm-hmm. but just to help clear the chaff a little bit. Um, and then the clanny cowl, anything that's a minus one is just a good thing to have. Minus one to hit. That actually, and that so that'll stack on top of what a lot of these different weird heroes have, which has um, mm-hmm. the the bonuses in the beginning to not get hit, or when they're standing near stuff to not get hit. Yeah. Uh, what about the shaman? Uh, so this is for a madcap shaman only. So this can't not go on a fungoid cave shaman. Oh, okay. Um, the moonface mommet is probably my favorite. That's the one I got marked too. Yeah. So you get to. At the start of the combat phase, pick an enemy unit while they're within 12 of the bearer and subtract one from save rolls for attacks that target that unit. So you have to be within 12 inches, sure, but that is a huge ability to take saves away in an army that doesn't have a lot of rend. Yeah, minus one to your save roll is really ridiculous. Yeah, it doesn't affect things like Ethereal, so it doesn't affect Night Hunt at all. Because it's a modifier. Oh, yeah, it is. So it's army situational. If you rock up against a Legion of Grimgas or a Night Hunt army, it's it's neat. That's it. Uh, what about Spider Fang heroes? I like the headdress of many eyes and the Black Fang. And, yep. Is that the ones you guys have? Yeah, that and the ear just is funny. Yeah. But it's not going to happen that often. But when it does, it's going to be hilarious. That's But, see, I, I, like, I marked the ear scuttle because that's the type of thing that if you get to pick stuff, you're going to throw that guy in um, when you think you're going to facing, like, super wizards. You're going to fight against Zinch. That you know what doing D three mortal wounds is not much, but taking a one for casting and unbinding from like Nagash from some little spider fang hero, mm-hmm. 
is fantastic. Yes. You know, it, it doesn't always happen, but when it does, it's good for a laugh. Wah, wah, I totally screwed you up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then what's the black fla- black fang? Why I'm looking for hell now. Where is it? Go ahead. You can take that one, please. Uh, sure. So you get to pick one of the various melee weapons if the unmodified hit roll is a six. It does D3 mortal wounds on the target and the attack sequence ends. If it already inflicts mortal wounds on a roll of a six, you get to add D3 to the number of mortal wounds. So it just does additional damage, and it does a lot of it. Yeah. So um, the other one on here, I mean, the Hedris of Many Eyes is just another minus one to hit, but on an Arachnarch Spider, that's huge. See, that's what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the other one is the Webstrung Cloak. Uh, you can't retreat if you're within three inches of the model. Interesting. Okay. So what it means is if you have this on an Arachnorok spider, <laughs> you essentially charge the spider in and say, okay, you're going to stand here and fight the spider. You can't run away from me. You have to kill the spider while the rest of my army starts to run over your stuff. That's or run nice. around your stuff. So it's a tactical thing, but then you're also depending on that spider living. Well, yeah. Um, and then the glinty gubbins that Trogoth found. Yeah. I love the title for that, even. The glinty mm-hmm. gubbins that they found. And these are actually pretty decent. Mm-hmm. The the shiny whatnot, uh, you get a mortal wound on a six up. It's allocated to the caster of the spell. So if it's a spell, mortal wound caused by a spell on a six up, it goes back to the caster. If it was inflicted by an endless spell on a six up, it's negated and the endless spell is dispelled. That's why I like this one. At first, I'm like, if you cast magic and if it's a mortal wound, then on a six. Uh, not only don't I take it, but it bounces back on you. There's a lot of ifs there. There's a whole lot of I was like, meh, but then I was like, I'll take that risk if it means that endless spell might just go away. Yeah. Just roll a six and I'll shut down a comet or something. Yeah. I like that, and I like the pet gribbly. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you attack me before I attack you in that combat phase... Uh, then you take D3 mortal wounds after you're done attacking me because, just because. Yeah, his little friend, his little pet, bites him. Uh, I like the glowy house it, uh, just because it's hilarious. So it, they even mentioned it tastes surprisingly tangy. So anytime you take a wound or mortal wound on him, you get to roll a four plus to negate it. But if you roll a one, he eats it. Which is just funny. But also, it makes that incredibly tough Chagath even harder to put in the ground. Right. Like I said, I just the appeal of that guy, I keep coming back to going, man, I, this stuff is... There's so much cool stuff in there, but that's the one that I keep coming back to. So let's it's talk the Chagaths. Yeah. I mean, the, the, I think it's because I haven't seen any... I mean, you haven't seen trolls really leading things before. You know, you don't see a lot of that. You see them, uh, you know, in an auxiliary position as an extra unit when you can find the points for it, not so much as the leader and the main bulk of the army. So, 
Unless you did a Chaos Troll Army back in the day, where you yeah. had, um, what's his name? Scout. No, not Scala. Um, he had the Throg. 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 Yeah. Yeah, you could do a Throg Army. But I'm just saying for the, for the Greenskins, though. All yeah. right. Spell Lores. Um, there's a lot of good spells here. There's a lot of good stuff here. Um, why don't you take it? Because you can explain it better than I can once you get through it. Or if you want, I could read the rule and then you could tell us why it's cool. But I'm not certain which one you want to start with here. Um, all six of these are good for Gloom Spite, and this is just for the Moon Clan. So it can only be taken by Moon Clan wizards. Um, the first of which cast value five. This is Vindictive Glare. Pick an enemy within 12 inches, they take D3 mortal wounds, so it's a better short-range arcane bolt. Great. Um, the noose, Itchy Nuisance, CV6, if you pick an enemy in it within 18 inches if he goes off and you have to see them. They fight at the end of the next combat phase after everything else fights. So, unless you've played against something like a uh, forest dragon before... Uh, that decided to take a nosedive. Like, having to fight last while everything else fights around you is a huge deal, especially when your guys die in droves like the Gloom Spike does. Right. Uh, I liked the Great Green Spike. That's the one I had marked. Yeah, it's a good one, too. Casting value of 7, pick a Gloom Spike, uh, gets wholly within 18 inches, or 24 if it's... Oh, no. You pick a Gloom Spike gets wholly within 18 inches of the caster, and then an enemy unit within 24 inches of the caster, and that enemy unit takes a mortal wound if the first unit you picked has less than 10 models. 10 to 20 takes D3 mortals. 20 more takes D6 mortals. So if you're running around with hordes of gets, because those those units can get pretty sizable. Um, yeah. They- D6 mortal wounds. That's I mean that's that's a that's a bunch. At two feet away. Yeah. It is a cast value seven, so it is a little tricky to get off, but if it hit if it goes, it's gonna hurt. You could pick off characters with this. Oh yeah. Just auto zap. But again, cast value seven. That's assuming the four wound or five wound wizard survives long enough. Yeah. I still like it. And then you got the Hand of Gork. Mm-hmm. This one, you cast value 7, pick a friendly Gits unit, pull it within 24, more than 3 from enemy units, pick them up and set them up anywhere else more than 9 inches away. Which is huge for them to get You these can't big pull them out of combat moving. because Gork would no. not do that. No, not so- at all. So you got to be more than three inches away from the enemy. You cannot be in combat. He won't pull you out. But if you're not in combat, he will pull you and reposition you into a better place to get into combat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you got a squig lure. So this lets D3 friendly units of squigs run and charge, regardless of the moon position. So it's not bad. Um, the nasty one in here is called the moon, um, which is... A cast value eight. You get to pick an enemy unit visible to the caster, and they just take D three mortal wounds. No range, just visible. Yep. And if that unit is affected by the light of the bad moon, you get to re-roll uh, the D three to determine the number of wounds they take, 
which is yeah, it's pretty alright. For free. No range, just zap. That's good. That's better than I was than I realized. I didn't realize how, how that had no range like that. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you got Spider Fang Wizards got their own lore. Yeah. Are these all good too, or did I miss some? Because I I picked out a few I liked. I I picked out about three of them. There's a couple of good ones. Um, Sneaky distraction um, is my favorite of them. Go ahead. So that one casualty seven if it goes off until your next hero phase. Subtract one from hit rolls for attacks made by enemy units that are wholly within tall with a caster. Um, you stack that on with the headdress of many eyes if you went that route. Um, but it doesn't have the limiter where it has to be like a spider fang keyword. It affects enemy units wholly within 12. So even if you have this guy running around behind a pack of trogs or a pack of squigs, it doesn't matter. It just hits enemy units. Yeah. So it's a nice one. I like that one of them. So, um, I liked if you if you're playing against horde armies, the venomous spiderlings could do well. Mm-hmm. Pick a unit within twelve inches. Roll a die for every model in the unit on a six up. It takes a mortal wound. So yeah, a, a decent roll against a big a big horde, and it's like, oh, I just took out ten of your guys. Mm-hmm. Um, I did. I I thought that one was pretty good. Uh, what else did you guys did you like in here? What were some of your other picks? Uh, Curse of the Spider God. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, this one's a good. One. So, cast value seven. If it goes off, pick an enemy unit within twenty four that they can see. Um, and until your next hero phase, hit rolls made for attacks by that unit always fail on a one or two unmodified instead of only a one. And then save rolls always fail on a one or two instead of a one. So. It's just that extra chance that you're going to get the damage through when you need it to get through. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. I like Gift of the Spider God. That's good if you're running a lot of Arachnorocks. Exactly. I mean, it's, it, it's, it is conditional, but if you're already running a Spider Fang Wizard, maybe you're running Spider Fangs. Uh, pick a friendly monster. Spider Fang monster within twelve inches that's visible and heal D six wounds. That could be really big if you're running a lot of Arachnoroks. Yeah, and you can run up to four in the list because they are behemoths, regardless of what's on the back of them. So, yeah, it's could not bad. Cool. And uh, and then before we get to uh, all of the entries, they they drop right here. There's one last thing before we get into the entries is that Loon Shrine rules. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a terrain feature. It is an obstacle. Uh, Gloom Spite gets units wholly within twelve inches of it. Don't take battle. Don't take battle shock. So that's that's good right there. That would be good right there. But that's not it, is it? No. So at the end of each of your turns, you can pick a friendly Stabas or Shooters unit, and there's only that's just it—the Stabas and the Shooters, right? Yeah. So it's the two units that are battle line for no matter where they go in the army. Correct. It's uh, what essentially what it's a moon clan grots with either a spear or a hand weapon or a bow. Right. 
and you can pick one unit that's been destroyed, roll a die on a four-up, you get to replace the unit with a unit half of that size. You can't replace a replaced unit, and it's got to be wholly within 12 inches of the bad moon and more than three inches from an enemy. So... At first I read this and I was like, wait. And then I realized it doesn't have to be a unit that was destroyed that turn. If you lost a unit of Stabas or Shudas, pick that unit and say, okay, roll the dice. And mm-hmm. on a four-up, it gets replaced. If you fail on the next turn, you could try it on the same unit, couldn't you? Yes. Yeah, because basically until it gets replaced, you can keep trying. Mm-hmm. For free. Yeah. Um, and then... The it's more than three inches away when you set them back up, as opposed to nine. Otherwise, that would be really tricky. But then, if someone's close to the loon shrine, you could suddenly have a mob of like thirty, twenty, or ten grots just come charging out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, just an important safety feature: if you have a unit of fanatics hidden in there, you can't bring them back um, because it only wants the stabas or shooters. Because they're centipede units. Ah, right. Um, and then just because it has a gloom spike gets keyword does not mean you can use hand of gork to move this thing around. Uh, it's not a unit. It's a terrain feature. Oh, that was a lot of scu- lot of scuttlebutt about. Oh, I can just use hand of gork to pick this thing up and throw it somewhere else on the table. Uh, no. Um, and then. When you set this thing up, it has to be wholly within your territory, more than 12 inches from enemy territory, and more than an inch from other terrain features. Well, that's, yeah. It's this little rules nugget off to the left-hand side of the actual entry for the war scroll. So, Did I miss that? Hold on. Yeah, it's on page 68 next to the fluff reading. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's it's in a weird, weird awkward spot. Yeah, yeah. that's uh, yeah, that's the setup rules, and that's separate from the actual rules for the piece of scenery itself. I see, I see. All right, so that's uh, that's all the special stuff. So I suppose we should take a break and then get into uh, the different war scrolls and the little stories about all these these dudes and what they do. So. Mm-hmm. Let's take a quick one, and when we come back, um, we'll dive into these horse scrolls. And there's a lot of them. Yes, there are. Are you finally looking to start your rebasing project? Six Squared Studios. Are you looking for some new and interesting resin terrain? Six Squared Studios. Are you looking for some fancy acrylic counters to keep track of wounds or maybe some other statistical anomalies? Six Squared Studios. Maybe you need a new rack for your paint? Six Squared Studios. Well, then look no further. What you need is Six Squared Studios. They ship worldwide with domestic shipping for both the U.S. and Canada. Six Squared Studios. 
That's right, Six Squared Studios. That's the number six, squaredstudios.ca. When your gaming needs go beyond your basic dice, tape measure, models, and paints, think Six Squared Studios. Six Squared Studios. Now all your base are belong from them. And we are back talking the War Scrolls and unit entries and Hail to the King. <laughs> <sighs> so let's talk about uh, the Loon King here. Let's talk about Scragrot, the Loon King. Um, <laughs> he is uh, hes a guy that I like. <laughs> I read his story and I'm like, I'm sold. This guy's cool for me. Um, and this is dark. Okay, yes. his story. I, I I have this written down in my book. Even for this game, this is dark. No living creature knows the story of Scragrot's origins. He has personally made sure of this, causing anyone who might possess such knowledge to disappear. Scragrot has killed all of his family and friends and anybody who may know. Anything about his actual origin story. He has made sure they are all dead. Mm-hmm. That right there, you're like, ooh, that's kind of okay. Um, uh, basically, nobody had really heard of him until all of a sudden he comes marching out at the head of an army. Uh, it turns out that the bad moon spoke to him while he was sleeping. Uh, he claims that he woke up covered head to toe in squirming insects that scattered to leave him coated in slime. Uh, Fumbling at his head, which was aching like a rotten tooth, he was shocked to find a stiff fungal crown sprouting from his scalp, the roots digging into the very meat of his brain. A skull-headed wand lay at his right hand, and his left was a regal staff topped with a living and incredibly rare bad loon boss fungus. So, there you go. He woke up like this. Yeah, um, and he's chasing after the moon to try to get it to speak to him again. Yes. Um, and in addition to, like, obviously enact the will and bring about the Everdank. Now, um, you, there's a lot of signs here, though. Like, even, you would think even if he's making up some of his history, you know, I woke up, I was covered in the slot. Dude, he does have a literal crown of mushrooms growing out of his brain and through his skull. <laughs> And he's got the boss loon shrine on his staff. Yeah, he's got the the bad yeah the the boss fungus on the staff. He's got the other skull thing. Um, now, they, like I said, it, it, it wound up. He comes up in this place called uh, Ayata. Ayata, yeah. And there was apparently orcs and humans and Duarden all fighting over here, and he just piles out and takes them all out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I found it interesting that this realm, this part of the realm is in metal mm-hmm. where he comes out and takes over. Cause I never would have put like, I wouldn't normally see Grotz living in the realm of metal because you would think, Oh, it'd be like shadow or beast or anywhere like that. But now they're introducing a new player into the realm of metal. Yes. 
And I also like who he takes out. There's this is the, the, the you're, there's orcs fighting against humans alongside their Dwarden counterparts. And then who comes barreling out of the middle and messes up everything for everyone are the Gits. They take out all of their, their traditional friends and foes, sort of setting themselves apart. Mm-hmm. Um, but now it's like, oh, boy, you knew where the moon was this time. Now, so, yeah, his sanity has taken a few yeah, few knocks be- before beginning this scheme. He has successfully from, uh, predicted the bad on four more occasions. There you go. Uh, countless lurk lairs and even spider fang tribes recognize him as their almighty king. So he's kind of awesome, and he does have the power. Um, do you want to talk about the other loon bosses really quick, bef- and then we can kind of talk about all their different scrolls before we jump along to the Gobblepalooza? Yeah, which a I lot. have more notes written in my book and highlights in my book for Gobblepalooza than just about any other part of this because it's bananas. Yeah. So the other um, loon bosses, you want to take them? Yeah. So these guys are the luckiest, the cunningest, or the ones that are most willing to murder anyone that gets in their way. Um, <laughs> these tend to be the biggest, and meanest, and nastiest. Uh, they tend to. Uh, wait, I had it. I lost it. They Sorry. remind me of Oryx. They're the biggest and nastiest. We'll get to be there. They're also the most cunning. Like you said, they'll kill anybody. They also take the best war gear, the most yeah, valuable shinies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, if they want to, their pick of the squigs to ride into battle. Um, yeah. And they uh, wear clanking suits of heavy armor. That Which is unlike. Yeah. yeah, which is unlike a grot. Because normally they just want their robe and hide in it. So... These are obviously the ones that are trying to look dead fighty in a proper loon. So they wear those loon helms, um, which apparently are also all the rage, like stylistically. And other people respect it, including the squigs, apparently. Even they won't try to take a bite out of the moon. Mm -hmm. Uh, I do like that they have become renowned in Grot folklore for their unorthodox tactics or weird peccadilloes. They use the word peccadillos in this book, too. Uh, this book is fantastic. Yeah, they use a lot of fancy words. It's not even fancy. There's words I haven't heard used in a long time. And it's like, oh, boy. Okay, here we go. Picking mm-hmm. out some great some great uh, adjectives to describe these things. But so, yeah, the loon bosses are kind of like maniacs. Uh, so they're the ones that want to bring on... They want to be the one to bring on the Everdank is really what it boils down to. Um. Obviously, the closest one is going to be Scragrot, but that depends who you talk to. Yeah. Uh, although no one's going to badmouth Scragrot to his face. Not at all. All right. So let's take a look at him. Now, okay, before we jump into this, let's – okay. Are you cool with just giving some generalities in the beginning here? Yeah. I mean, and for, I, for the most good. part, these guys move either four inches or five inches – for the most part, they've got a five-up save and about a five bravery. That can vary. Heroes can go up to fours, um, you know, for their saves. But it's mostly five bravery, sometimes a six, and they mostly move about five inches with a very with a very mediocre save. And that's for just about all these guys. Yeah, there's nothing in this book with a better than a four-up save. Right. 
So, like, when we got Scragger out the Loon King, you know, he's not riding anything, so he's just six wounds, and he does have the five-up save. Now, he's got a bunch of abilities, though. He does. Um, now, obviously, he's a unique character, so he cannot take command ability or command traits or anything, but he's kind of got a lot baked into him. Um, so, if he's your general, at the start of your hero phase, you get to roll a dice. And on a four plus, you get D3 extra command points. Yeah. What? Yeah, right there. D3 command points. And that's every time? And when we get into some of the other things, uh, you're going to be producing command points out of out of the wazoo. Yeah, if you um, can roll a four up there, boom, there you go. You got D3. Mm-hmm. Uh, so his stick, um, either in combat or shooting, uh, it's the same profile. It's just a matter of how many attacks he makes. Three by three and one damage one. Um so if he inflicts wounds to a model that uh, are not negated, uh, he the enemy model suffers one more wound at the end of each battle round, um, even if they heal the wounds suffered by the bad moon on a stick, because the fungus grows out of them. And yep. they start to turn into fungus. Yeah, so at the end of every turn, you're losing an extra... You're taking an extra wound. Yep. Uh, Just because. He's got, yeah, he's got his fancy hat... So he gets to add plus one to casting it on binding rolls. And every time he takes a wound or a mortal wound on a four-up, it's negated. So he's only got six wounds with a five-up save, but he is not easy to put in the ground. Yeah. Uh, A four-up ward, the bonus to casting, the bonus to, to dispelling, the extra wounds that you take if you take them, all the command points. This is, he's just, he's kind of got everything for a grot. It's yeah, bananas. for a grot. And he's still very squishy if you can get to him, but um, that's the thing. you got to get to him. Um, so he's also a wizard. He gets to cast and unbind two spells, and his, his spell is hilarious. It's called Nick It, Nick It. So cast value eight, if it goes off, you pick an enemy model within 18 inches. That model takes D3 mortal wounds, and in addition, if you are a model with an artifact of power and the casting roll was a 10+, plus, so it only needs to be a 9, the artifact of power can no longer be used. So he just steals your funny possessions is really what it boils down to. Yeah, he's doing D3 mortals as the one hand holds you tight, so tight that it's squeezing you to, to do mortal wounds. And then if it does really well, it steals your stuff. Yeah. So you have an ethereal uh, vampire lord on zombie dragon. That's great. Not anymore. Yeah. No. It's just I. I'm sorry. That's gone. You just back to your normal things. Yeah. And then his command ability, his entreaty, once per battle, you can choose how the bad moon moves. Which is this is this this right here. If you're playing with the whole. The whole story. This just fits the story so perfectly, and it, it's every reason to take him. I think mm-hmm. he's got cool stuff. Okay, so we already talked about how the bad moon moves. It starts in the corner. It moves. It, if you roll two through five, it moves forward to the center, uh, or or from the center to the you know the center of the quadrant to the center of the board, whichever. Uh, on a six, though, it moves double. So suddenly, on the top of turn two, if you roll a six, it's in the middle of the board. Turn two, but then it's moving out. 
And as you said, if you roll another six, it moves off the board and you're done with all your bonuses. So here, once per game, you can decide whether it sits still. You, you Basically, you can determine the outcome of the die. But if you don't roll, you can say, oh, it's a one, it's not moving this turn, or it's a two through five, or it's a six. Um, I think it's one of those things where if you, you hold this off hoping that you land on the center square or the center spot and don't, you know, jump over it. And once you're there, you use this ability to stay there another turn. Yeah. And that's big because there's all those things, the, all those bonuses that you can get. Mm-hmm. I like this a lot. It's Is there other things that can help you to control the bad moon? This is the only thing that can control the moon. And of course it is because it's the one person that the bad moon has literally spoken to and the only one to track it through five times. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Like I said, I'm I I like him and I like uh I like that uh I like these rules fitting his his lore. Yeah. And all of his abilities really trigger if he's your general. Right. So you are giving up command traits, uh, but he's essentially got a lot of them built in. Yeah, there is no rule that he has to be your general, but it seems weird that he wouldn't be. Unless you take like a generic destruction army. Well, that's true. But his command ability and the babbling wand really, they only work if he's your general and in a situation where you control the moon, which is in a gloom spite army. Right. So I'm saying if you took a general army, you wouldn't take him anyway. I couldn't see any reason to take him over the other ones. His spell is really good. Yeah. And he's a two-cast wizard with a plus one to cast an unbind regardless. So he has merit outside of Gloomspite, but he really shines in Gloomspite. I got you. Uh, So do you want to go over the other loon bosses? Yeah, let's do that. Uh, So there's four other ones? Three other ones? (laughs) Yeesh. No, there's four. There's four. Yeah. There's a lot of characters well, okay. here. Now, let, why don't we do it this way? Uh, I think this way makes sense, and then we can kind of go through quickly, because a lot of them have um, similar little rules here and there. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's just start with the one on foot, and then go. Then he, then, he, then the one with the cave squig, then the one on the cave squig, then the one on the mangler squig, as they build up. Yeah, sure. Try a good place to start. So uh, we're all with all the fives again. You're safe, mm-hmm. you know, all that stuff. Uh, the regular loon boss, uh, minus one for hit rolls for attacks that target this model. Apparently, when you're tiny, you can be dead. Uh, the rule is dead Trixie. So minus one just to hit him. That's yep. that's good right there. Mm-hmm. A lot of things that trigger off on your uh, hit on your on, a, on an unmodified six or on or, uh, or well, unmodified six still unmodified. So the subtract one doesn't matter. Um, but you know, a lot of these things that are six plus and things like that you lose. And then that's the I'm the boss now stab him good rule where you can uh, do mortal wounds on top if they roll sixes. Yeah, if they roll sixes to wound for an unmodified. Um, so if he's within three inches of an enemy unit, he gets, uh, or of a friendly unit, he gets lookout sir for shooting attacks. So he's minus two against shooting. Which is huge. Or minus three if you do the Clammy Cowl. Or Griff Feather Charger or anything. So he can be, like, impossible to hit um, if you build him that way. Right, because Lookouts are, as long as the unit's got at least, what, three models? Yeah. 
and you're near it, it's minus one to hit you. You got to be within three inches, right? Yeah. Okay. That's, yeah, that's what I thought. Just for anyone who wasn't certain. Yeah, mm-hmm. See, that's what I thought. I was looking at this. I'm like, doesn't that make it even harder to hit him? Yeah. yeah. His rule used to be if you rolled a six to hit him, it counted as a one. Um, so now it's just a flat minus one as opposed to using a different result on a die. Ah, gotcha. I mean, um, and his, even his attacks, I mean, he's only got three attacks, but threes by threes, one ren, D3 damage? It's not bad. For for a little guy? Yeah, it's pretty typical. I'll take it. Yeah, he's good. Um, now, if you give him a giant cave squig, he's still dead, Trixie, so he's still minus one. Uh, he's got I'm the boss, now stab him good. So basically, he's the same. He's got an extra wound. And he's got uh, you know different weapons, and obviously his his giant cave squig can uh, also do some damage. So he's yeah. a little, he's a little more punchy, but other than that, he's pretty much the same as the regular loon boss, right? Yeah, he's got a missile weapon. Uh, he actually lost a rule um, between the old between the previous version, uh, which is the down in one. If the squig rolled a six to wound, it did d six damage instead of d three. Oh, um, so he did take a bit of a hit right there. Okay. Now, if he decides to ride the cave squig, you lose the missile weapons. You got a lot of attacks. Um, but I mean, it says you know, threes and fours to hit, threes or fours to wound. Nothing really has rend except for the the squigs bite, mm-hmm. uh, which is damage D three. Everything else is damage one. Um, this one can fly. Yeah. Um, and that's not because the cave squig has wings. I'm just assuming it's because it jumps and bounds so darn high. Because it does that exactly thing. And this is the... It's got D, 2d6 inches of movement because you can't really control these things. Um, and then what else? Um, oh, red cat mushrooms once per battle. Um, you can eat a red cat mushroom... You reroll hit and wound rolls for the moon cutter or the moon cannon stabba. So basically, you're rerolling hit and wound rolls for the rider's weapons, not the mount. Yeah. Uh, at first glance, that doesn't literally look all that great until you say, well, I'm going to put the Ren 3 sword on him. Uh, so this way he actually does some potential damage um, as compared to just letting the squig do all the work. But it gives you an option to build a nasty little loon boss. Yeah. I mean, it's only one per battle, but if you time it right, mm-hmm. it's exactly what you need. Yep. And then his command ability is let's get bouncing. Uh, start of the movement phase, pick a friendly model, uh, or this model, because it's a model with his command ability. All friendly squig units wholly within 12 inches at the start of that phase can move an extra three inches if they make a move. You can mm-hmm. only do it once per movement phase for the for a unit, but three extra inches is actually pretty good. Yeah, on top of D six, two D six or D or three D six, so they can move around when they need to. It just it eliminates some of that random. Right, and then the last loon boss on the mangler squig. Now this is where you get the l- cool rules for the mangler squigs. All the extra stuff. Other than this, it's very—it's similar to every other loon boss. 
But um, now this guy's got 12 wounds. And like you said, when he starts off, he's perfect. When he gets down to between five and seven wounds, when he's right in the middle of his 12, he's at his weakest. And then as you start to really kill him, it gets upset and gets back to normal stats because it's getting irritated that you're killing it. Yes. It's, uh, when I, when I first saw this chart, it's like, oh, that's brilliant. Makes absolute sense for what this, for what the squig is. Um, and when we yep. talk about this, the same profile exists for a regular mangler squig. So we'll just kind of knock that out at the same time here. Yeah, yeah, um, well, yeah. So he's got four attacks with his teeth, starting at a three to hit, getting to a five, then back to three. Um, three to wound, ran one, damage D6 all the time. Uh, his balls and chains, anywhere from seven to five, and then back to seven for a number of attacks. Threes by threes, ran two, damage D3. The little guys on top throw a few extra attacks, and the boss throws in five extra attacks. He's also got a red cat mushroom, so he can do the reroll thing. But that now that's just for him. That's just for his moon cutter, right? It's just for the moon cutter, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, because it says specifically not for the model's mount or crew, right? So it's just that little wimpy sword. So meh. Um, he's got anywhere between three six and d six movement. Um, you get to add run to hit rolls for attacks made by the model's balls and chains. So they go from hitting on threes to hitting on twos if he made a charge. Um, so that's where the uh, fight another day command trait comes in. That's what I was gets thinking. To yeah. Constantly charge. You charge, and then when you're done fighting, you fight first. You pull him out. He doesn't take any damage, and then mm-hmm. he's charging in again on the next turn if you can get him in there for the charge. Plus, that hate that that uh, fang filled gob. You know, I mean. Seriously, one rend D6 damage? Yep. And it's always one rend D6 damage. And you could be hitting literally on twos. Well, it's threes with the gob. The balls hit on twos. Oh, the ball on twos. Yeah, the ball. Yeah, they're hitting on twos. Sorry. But that's no, rend two damage D3. It's like, oh, my goodness. Especially with the number. Um, he's also got, if he is slain... Um, you roll a dice for every unit within uh, six inches of him, and on a four plus, they take D three mortal wounds because things go crazy and out of control. Right. And then his command ability is really big, especially if you want to do a squig focus army. So it's the start of the combat phase. You get to add one to wound rolls for friendly squig units, so they're holier than eighteen inches of him, including himself. Uh, so. So now the squig. Wait, one for friendly squid units. So that's this whole thing. Yeah, he wants squid units. So suddenly it's wounding on for going from fours and threes to threes and twos. Yeah, or if it's the balls and chains, it goes to twos and twos if he charges and uses this. Oh, my gosh. That's so good. Yeah. This thing's actually kind of a maniac. Lunatic, yeah. Oh, yes. Thank you. Yeah. How much does something like that guy cost you? He's 300 points. He's, well, I would put him up at one of the most expensive things in the list. Yeah, there's three things at 300, and he's one of them. Uh, the Web Spinner Shaman on Arachnarok Spider and the Trog Boss. 
Yeah, so the big three are the most expensive things. Makes sense. Yeah. So, uh, what do we have next? We gotta go That'd back. Be the neat Gabapalooza. Okay. I like the concept of this. I like the execution of this. This this is the type of stuff that's that's fun to me. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so you'll get this thing. It's a bunch of these little. It's a bunch of goblin freaks, a bunch of grot freaks, and they go around and they sort of lunk up. They all take some sort of little aspect of of some sort of mystical thing, and they go around and. They they are the advisors to the Loon King, whether he likes it or not, or the Loon Boss. They are just they come in and they advise. Now it says now when the gloom spite gets on them, they start getting all maniacal and they start dancing and shrieking and jumping around. Now this is the part that grabbed me. Other grots passing by might be surprised to see them start to dance and act all crazy any of these shocked little grots who see this going on can enter into bizarre trances undergo freakish fungal transformations uh, burbling in tongues and sometimes vanishing altogether seemingly at random so Mm -hmm. like these guys get into it and they are releasing so much weird magical energy just pouring off them that the grots around them may start to mutate, may start to grow. Some of them just wink out of existence, apparently. Mm-hmm. That's bananas. Yeah. That is just goofy. As it should be. And then each of them get a little, a, a, a real quick explanation of who they are, and it shows up in their rules. Mm-hmm. Which I like, because you literally have to take this as a unit. It is a unit of, what, five? It's... A collection of five of them. They operate independently. They're deployed separately. Um, and they're not heroes, so they don't go against your hero limit. They're just five bros that do different things. Yep. And I love it. So, basically, you've got scaremongers, and they're the ones that have that little sun face on. Yep. Um, now, they, now, they are riding upon... They dress up as Glareface himself, riding upon grot-born squig skulls, representing boing, Boingob, the god beast that tried to eat Hish and burn for his troubles. So they're dressed up like him, like the sun and Boingob. So I love these guys because they're, they're, their whole setup, they're the attacker and the defender, the destroyer and the destroyed all in one. They are just the epitome of destruction in their little setup here. Mm-hmm. Everything gets torn down. Um... And they they are really good at causing fear into the stuff, the grots around them, causing them to move quicker. Yep. And so basically in the rules, these are the guys who get you to re-roll your run in charge rolls. Yeah, which is a huge deal. Right. Um, we should probably, as long as we're talking about this, we should talk about the Galapalooza know what's roll. Um, oh, okay. So, I, yeah, okay, yeah. Let's do that. So... Regardless, um, I think there's one of them that doesn't have this, but most of them will have a know-what's roll. Two of them uh, don't. So the, Two of them have wizard spells instead. Yeah. So if they're not a wizard, they get the know-what's. So they, in the hero phase, you get to roll a die, and on a three-up, you pick a friendly 
unit as it describes. So for the Scaremonger, his no what's is you get to pick a friendly Moon Clan Grot unit, holy with an 18 that he can see, and you get to reroll run and charge rolls. Because um, he's scaring them to move faster. Right. Um, he also had. Now they're not heroes, um, otherwise they could benefit from Lookout Sir, so instead they have the Slippery Git rule. This applies to all of them, I think. Uh, you get to subtract one from hit rolls for attacks made by missile weapons as long as they're within three inches of a friendly Moon Clan unit within th- with three or more models. So it doesn't. It's not Lookout Sir, but it is. Um, That's right. They, they don't get Lookout Sir because they're not heroes, but they get it correct. anyway because they're respected. From, yeah, from the slippery git, but it has to be a Moon Clan unit. So they can't hide behind, like, Spider Fang or something like that. Right. Um, and then they all have the hallucinogenic fungus brews. Um, so in the first battle round, you get to add two to the save rolls for attacks to target him. In the second, you add one, and then that's it. So he starts at a five, so he essentially goes to a three um, the first battle round. So he's tanky the first battle round. It gets a little worse as we go, but... Basically, all there's five guys. Each of them has a little specialty, and the the way it's set up, they're so high on their brews and and their poisons and the things that they're doing. They're a lot harder to kill when the game starts. Mm-hmm. As the stuff starts to wear off, as a couple of turns go by, their their grotty colors show through. Yep. But it's just pretty cool. So then you got a brew kit who lugs around all his little alchemical paraphernalia. And he makes all sorts of potions that uh, fills him with. A, they, become, they get stronger, uh, and it's very addictive. So, once again, another grot. But his little know what on a three up, pick a friendly hero within eighteen inches, reroll hit rolls. Now that one's only for a hero. Mm-hmm. So it's not just a moon clan grot, but you can get a hero can reroll his. Uh, Reroll his hit rolls until the next hero face with the brew get. And these aren't, I mean, they're just, this. you just do this. If there's anyone in range, you roll it off and see if you can do it. Yep. Which is kind of cool. Uh, who's mm-hmm. next? The spiker. Yeah, this is the poison maker. Um, and he coats all the weapons and that's his job. He collects all the strange and noxious poisons. Right. That's really what it is. He's the guy with the giant head and the three eyes. He's yeah, got he's slip- a weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> he's got the slippery git and the uh, hallucinogenic bruise just like the other guys do. Um, his know what on a three up, pick a friendly. So this one is also just a moon clan grot like the first one. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a hero, just any grot unit wholly within 18 inches. Reroll wound rolls of one for that unit. So... There's still poison on those blades because of what he's giving everybody. So he can give them a chance to reroll ones to wound. Yeah, and as we get into the Moon Clan Grot War Scroll, it gets nastier uh, with their ability to stack. Um, and with the Light of the Bad Moon, you get to reroll ones to hit anyway. So now with him, you get to reroll ones to hit and ones to wound. Right. These guys just get good. Like you can, you yeah. can the, I mean, I just like this whole concept of adding this. And it's like they've got these. You know, two of the guys are wizards, but the other two guys just have little prayers that they do, basically. Essentially, yeah, without being priests. 
Yeah, so the boggle eyes hypnotize everybody. Friend and foe alike are reduced to drooling, glazed over puppets. Um, and their special ability, and I think this is where we get in the spells. I don't think they've got the... They don't have no what's. They're just uh, wizards. Right. So they are. They still got the fungus brew and the slippery git, but he gets to cast a spell. His spell is mesmerize on a six. One unit wholly within 12 inches visible to them. Uh, if it's a friendly unit, it doesn't take battle shock text. If it's an enemy unit, until the next hero phase, they fight at the end of the combat phase after everybody else has fought. That's pretty cool. It is. So either you get so brave you're not running, or you get so confused you're fighting last. It depends on whether you're used to these type of chemicals or not. Mm-hmm. And the last one is the Shroomancer. Um, they they cause fungi of all sorts to animate in concert with their psychedelic visions. So what they're seeing, everybody else starts to see. Um, and there's... I like theirs. They also, they've got Slippery Git and the, the, um, and the Fungus Brews. They are wizards as well, and their special ability is that Fungoid Cloud casting value of six. Pick an enemy unit within eight inches that's visible until the next hero phase. Minus one for their hit rolls and minus one from their save rolls for attacks that target them. That one's really good. It is. It's a really short range, but that is a massive spell. Going off on a six, and you're suddenly you're minus one to hit, and you're minus one on all your saves. Mm-hmm. But I suppose when this guy is really loaded on shrooms, and he's hallucinating, and his hallucinations start to manifest around him, that could distract me enough where I'm not fighting, at least not fighting first, although very possibly fighting last. And would give me trouble with attacking because I don't know what I'm attacking when I'm seeing all these weird hallucinations popping up around me. So, mm-hmm. I, I just like it. And uh, you'll see later if you're willing to spend your points on on a battalion for them, the what's it goes off on a two. And the wizards get plus one to their cast value. Right. No, it's, it's I like it a lot. I like these Gobblepaloozas. All right, let's talk about the different shamans. Yeah, so there's two more shamans to talk about with the Moon Clan, uh, the Madcaps, uh, and then the Fungoid Cave Shamans. So the Madcap is just like your generic Grot Wizard, channeling the Gloom Spite to conjure weird magics or terrify his underlings into submission. Um, And he can shroud his fellow grots in shields of shadows and malice. Um, and sometimes he eats a mushroom to uh, make his spells go off better, to make them more potent. Unless he accidentally um, eats a toadstool because they are indistinguishable from the good kind. Mm-hmm. So you got a bowl of Skittles, one of them might be poisoned. Yeah. But eat them anyway, and this guy does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the other ones are the fungoid cave shamans, and these are the guys that we got introduced to with malign sorcery, or uh, malign uh, portents, sorry. Right. Uh, and these are the prophets, they're visionaries, they claim to be connected to Mork, um, and he tells them these things, and they're revered not only by Grotz, but also by the other uh, armies of destruction. 
and they're they've got the fungus growing out of them. They're the closest thing that they have to planners and strategizers. Um, and they ingest the death cap mushrooms and other poisonous fungi and jabbering about the resultant visions to anyone that will listen. So these are the talkers, the prophets. Um, and the death cap mushrooms, that's the one that you eat that and then you start to grow fungus spores out of your brain. And like literally they yes. will crack through your skull to pop open so that they have room to grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's just, that's fantastic. It's so gross and so cool. Yes, if you kill a human, but on a on a grot, it turns him into a celebrity. Well, yeah, yeah, being the big thing for anybody, I guess. Um, so the uh, madcap shaman should probably do that one first. Yep. Uh, so he's really squishy. He's got his mushroom. So once per battle in your hero phase, you can attempt to cast one additional spell with him. You can normally only cast one. Um, and if you do so, and the casting roll is a double, the model suffers D3 mortal wounds. So he could kill himself, depending, if he tries for that second spell. Uh, and then his basic spell is Night Shroud. So you get uh, cast value 5. If it goes off, you pick a friendly unit wholly within 12 of him. And until your next hero phase, subtract one from hit rolls for attacks made with missile weapons that target him, or target that unit. So it's pick one friendly unit, so it doesn't have to be Moon Clan, which is really what the big thing is. So you've got ways to protect your squigs, ways to protect your spiders even more, or your trogs, just by having this little bro around. You could literally slip this over some of these other guys, especially some of your... Um your uh, what a paloozas mm-hmm. and really cause the gobble palooza and really just make now you're not hitting them just go after someone else I'm not letting you hit these guys absolutely but of course if you got your choice are you picking the madcap or the fungoid it depends what you want because the fungoids cannot take the madcap artifacts well that is true and also, it depends on the composition of your army. If you still need shooting protection, then you may want to take the Madcap just for the Night Shroud. I but it can. depends on how you build your army and what you want it to do. Now, if you've got a Cave Shaman on the battlefield at the start of the hero phase, on a 4-up, you get an extra command point. doesn't have to be your general. just has to be on the, on the battlefield at the start of the hero phase. So, And it's this model. So if you have several... On the battlefield, you get multiple rolls. You can cast an extra spell because of your death cap mushrooms once per battle, but still, mm-hmm. getting that extra spell in, the, in a clutch move can be important. Um, the spore squig, they gave it a four-up ward save, basically. A four-up negate, yeah. Yeah, against wounds and mortal wounds. So they've got a lot going for them. Um, and the spore mob, that spell is pretty good. Mm. Isn't it? I mean... No. So it's a cast value 7, and if it goes off, you're hitting each enemy unit within D6 inches of the caster for D3. So it's random distance, and you have to essentially be in combat in order to use it. 
Oh, I was thinking you're just behind the lines of your other guys, and if you can roll a decent-sized roll, you can divvy out a lot of mortal wounds, especially if you're playing against some MSU units. It's possible you can do it. It just It's really tricky. Okay. I think the big thing is he's a wizard that can get extra spells without like potentially blowing up, and then he gets command points for your army for free. Yeah, essentially. So between is big. Yeah, between these guys, Scragrot, and the Loon or the Moon in general, you can get a lot of command points very quickly with Gloom Spite. Yeah. Uh, should we talk Squigs? Why wouldn't we talk Squigs? <laughs> so Squig herds. Squigs are part animal, part fungus. Um, they're big. They're they're big red balls of muscle and meat with a pair of legs, a slight tail, little beady red eyes, and big, huge jaws with big, huge teeth. And those jaws can snap with enough uh, to crunch through solid rock, plate metal, or any number of minor impediments like bone, muscle, and sinew. Um, yeah. Hurting them is dangerous. You can get eaten, and you often do. But if you're good at it, you can make a lot of money uh, as as a squig herder among the other um, the other grots. Um, let's see what else. Oh, then you get the uh, squig hoppers. Now this, I I had to read this one twice. Okay. Mm-hmm. So squigs grow, and we all know them as little, little, like I said, little. They're like little rabid dogs, basically. You know, they're just they're just, they just run around, just biting and chewing everything. Um, and then you see some of them ride them, and I figured, oh, okay, they ride them, big deal. No, they don't just ride them; they give them a potion, which fills them up. That gives them really bad gas, basically. <laughs> gives them gas so bad that they get big and rounder and larger. They fill them up. They make them gassy, and they turn them into those bouncy ball toys that the kids play yeah. on. Except they're very ill-tempered and and and, and ferocious because they're super gassy, and you're making them jump and bounce and basically use that gas as a propellant. To bounce around on, and so I'm like, "Oh, you're kidding me!" And um, you got to be, you got to be an especially, uh, you know, uh, lunatic uh, goblin to even want to do this job, because most of them die. But if you survive more than the usual one to two battles, and you aren't devoured, you become a Boingrot bounder. And those are basically squig hoppers who managed to figure out how not to die doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them have gotten so good to hanging on for dear life, they can actually spare a few moments to think about fighting. Um, and they will actually use weapons and attack things. They make good shock cavalry because they're so uncomfortable and upset that once you can get them into the side of the enemy, there's no slowing these things down. So silly. So yeah. goofy. And uh, then why don't you get the mangler squigs? So they catch two giant cave squigs, chain them together, and poke them in the direction of the foe, and they kind of like 
pull each other. They get mad. Um, and they try to steer them, but realistically, um, they're just a bunch of squigs, or a pair of massive squigs rolling at the enemy, um, trying to eat everything in their path. And they're just like little whirlwinds of destruction that aren't really that little. So they're really large, because they're giant cave squigs. Yeah. And then they basically chain them together, so as the one starts to move and jump, it yanks on the other one, which upsets the other one. The yanking on the other one pulls back on itself, obviously, which slows it down, which irritates it more. So they just... They are literally working each other up into a frenzy, just trying to run with and yanking the other one along and getting yanked along constantly. Mm-hmm. That's so goofy. Uh, let's talk about these guys, though, because, man, this looks like a lot of fun to play. Yeah. The this squigs is- are just the fun, cute part. Yeah. And they're pretty nasty, too. So you've uh, got a basic squig herd. Mm-hmm. One out of every six has to be a herder. So five squigs yes. and a herder. Um, and he's got his little weapon. They don't, I mean, they're not, you know, if they get a couple of attacks, they're decent. There's not great attacks, but I think this is more of where they get into the complete, as they put it, avalanche of them. The squig avalanche, yeah. Yep. Um, you can, the squigs themselves are not terrible. And in general, a squig bite is four by three, run one, damage one. Um, so they do hurt if they hit you. But yeah. it's an if at a four plus. But they also, at least the herds, they can reroll, run, and charge rolls. While it's got a herder, yeah. Yeah. And um, every. Now, they're only bravery three. So if you kill a couple, a couple will run. But if they run, everyone that runs, you roll a die, and on a four up, the nearest unit within six inches takes a mortal wound. So if you if if, if four or five of the squigs run, I'm rolling dice, and they're good. A couple of these things are going to do some wounds as they're running away before they're actually killed. Killed. Yeah, and they're two wounds apiece, so they are a little tougher. Mm-hmm. But it's affecting the nearest unit within six, including friends. <laughs> well, if they're in, if they're if they're in battle, losing the battle shock, they're probably in combat with something. So unless you shoot them, oh, that's true. Oh, that's true. Yeah, this used to be it only affected things that weren't Moon Clan, but now it affects Moon Clan too. So it makes a little more sense because squigs don't care; they just want to bite and get angry. Yep. Plus, they're adorable. The new models are just absolutely ridiculous. With regards to how cute they are. Now. They're adorable. Let's graduate from just herding them to riding them. Now, squig hoppers move 3D6 more than the bounders, because the bounders apparently have a little bit more control. Um, they're two wounds apiece. They only have four bravery. They've barely got to save, because they're not trying to save. They're trying to hang on for dear life. Um, so squig hopper, that unit can fly. Cause once again, it's just jumping right over you. Um, and they have basically one ability, uh, after you've made a normal move, pick an enemy unit and roll a die for each model in this unit that passed across a model from that unit on a four up. It takes a mortal wound. 
So as you go bounding over them, there's a chance you can do some mortal wounds. That's, yeah. That's their special ability. Mm-hmm. They're okay. I mean, like I said, a ton of them will do some damage. Potentially, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're they're fast as all get out, comparatively speaking, maybe. So you can get them across the table. They fly so they can get up and over units, um, which is their job. So it's just a matter of how much you want to invest in something like that. But they're cheap. Uh, if you have a Moon Clan general with a squig mount, these things become battle line. So you can add cheap little units flying around, so you can do an all squig army, which is really what these things unlock. <laughs> um, or if your general's Moon Clan, you get uh, squigs as battle line. So gives you a different option if you want to do a squig army. Yeah. Now, if you decide to go to the bounders, you got the squig hoppers and they got Boinrocks. Bounders. Uh, let's take a look here real quick. Um, where are the squig hoppers? I'm just looking at the back here trying to see. 96. Uh-huh. Okay. So squig hoppers, the unit size goes from 5 to 20, and they're 90 points a For pop. five. For five, yeah. Um, the bounders are only, they go in fives up to 15, and they're 100 points a piece. So you're paying a little extra. Mm-hmm. But they get plus one to wound when they charge from their poking lances, which have a little better range and definitely better on the attack. And so they go from fives to fives, down to fours to fours with one rend. And a two-inch reach. Yeah. On the poking spear. So these guys might might be worth the extra 10 points for five, I think, right there. Yeah, but they're not battle line. Um, they are slower than a hopper. They're 2d6 as opposed to four, uh, 3d6. Well, yeah, because now they, you're wearing armor and stuff. <laughs> Slowing yeah, you down. Yeah, and you do have a four-up save, um, which is big deal for this kind of an army that doesn't really have a lot of armor. Um, and then they've got the Boing Smash uh, special rule. So after the unit makes a charge move, you get to pick an enemy unit within an inch of this unit and roll a dice for each model in this unit on a 4 plus the unit suffers a mortal wound. So if you take a unit of 15 and they all make it into combat on a charge, you could do on average 7 or 8 mortal wounds. That's if you charge and if you roll a 4 plus. So I mean, they're good, but they're not like evocators or anything like that. No. And thankfully. And then, like we said, you got the Mangler Squigs, which we already talked about, Mm -hmm. um, what they can do. Um, Just take the rider off the one we talked about, and there you go. Yeah. So you can do a whole army of just that stuff. Yeah, just Squigs. Which is awesome. All right, you know what? Let's uh, let's at least try to get through these... uh, Let's finish up the Moon Clan by get through the Grots and all the other stuff before we even get to the Spider Fang or all the Trogoth armies that we've got. We'll get through the rest of this stuff. Um, so Moon Clan Grots. They stand yes. somewhat shorter than an adult human. Uh, pale green skin, very smelly, cruel, spiteful, malicious. This is the basic core stuff, right? This is the stuff that was coming out in the uh, Skull Pass set here. Yeah. And have been kind of the staple for 
the army for ever and a day. Um, they do actually talk about like the different banners that they have because they do have two different ones mm-hmm. um, and what they do with each of these. So um, like the bad moon banner itself inspires courage and the other bad moon icons uh, veil the grots in shadow or else radiate waves of unnatural gravity that send projectiles off course. So they're just extra sneaky. Um, regardless of, they all have the same thing. Right. As far as rules. Um, so this one is the leader. You can only have one, but one in every 20 grots in a unit can be a gong basher. So you get to add two to run rolls for that unit. If they include a gong basher. Now the max on this unit is 60, right? They're 20, 40, 60. Yeah. Right. So, if I did take 60, I could take three. Now, it only counts once, but if one dies, I got two as backup. Correct. Okay. I am correct. Good. I'm good to know that I'm not completely wrong sometimes. Um, what else? Um, so then they also have the one in every 20 can either bear a Moon Clan flag or a Bad Moon icon. And if you have... A Moon Clan flag, you get to add one to the bravery characteristic of that unit. So they go up to bravery five. Woot. Um, or if you have a Bad Moon icon, you get to add one to save rolls for attacks made with missile weapons that target a unit. So they have a six-up base. If they have ten or more models with a shield, they get to add one to the save roll, and then you add this on top of it. So essentially, like, it's cover... But then you can also get cover. See what I'm saying? Uh-huh. So it makes them a little harder to kill from shooting, at least for the stabas. Um, and then they've got... Uh, they Both units, stabas and shooters, have the backstabbing mob. So you get to add one to wound rolls for melee weapons, while the unit has at least 15 models, and add two to wound rolls instead if it has 30 or more. Uh, That's not bad, actually. It's not bad at all, because in combat, the Stabas wound on fours or fives if it's a net, and the Slitas from the Shooters wound on fives um, normally. So then they get better, because it's a lot easier to stab somebody in the back when they're surrounded. Um, So then you put this like a spiker who gets them reroll ones, and if you've got a big enough mob, you wound on twos, essentially. With the stabus, at least. So you can, like, turn all of your hits into almost guaranteed rolls to wound. Yeah. So mobs of this... This is appealing even if all you have is your old stuff. You know what I'm saying? I think you mm-hmm. you think you'll see a lot of this, especially in the beginning. Yeah. Just pulling out those stuff. Because in the hordes, I mean... Yes, it's going to be a pain to move all that stuff around the board, but boy, is it going to do... It's going to get the job done, I think. It could, At least yeah. in the beginning, it can get the job done. Once you lose a few of them, mm-hmm. then you're in trouble. Now, um, for the standard bearers, if I've got 40, can I have one of each ba- one of each banner? Yes. Yes, I yes, thought so. Yes. If I have 60, I could have two and one or three and none. They don't, yeah. they don't stack, but they're backups. Yes. Okay. There's a lot of... A th- Attacks now that have been like able to target individual models, 
So for you to have the extra bravery or the extra cover, it's a nice option to have. Um, and then for the shooters, they have an additional rule uh, where you get to add one to hit rolls for attacks made with missile weapons if they've got 15 or more models in the unit. So they go from hitting on fives to hitting on fours, essentially. But it's only a 16-inch range um, with a five to wound. So they're not going to do a lot of damage, but it's still extra shots that you didn't have before. Um, and then three out of every 20 models uh, in a unit can be upgraded to netters. Um, and when the Age of Sigmar first came out, they didn't put a net limit on units. So people are trying to do units of all netters. Um, which is kind of silly, but, you know. Uh, the big thing on here with the netters is that if you're within two inches of a model with a net, then you get to subtract one from hit rolls. So if I'm you and I are playing a game and I have nine netters across the front of my unit, any of your models within two inches of a model with a net is minus one to hit. That's pretty good. That is really good. Um, it makes them a lot more survivable. But again, it makes those attacks that pick out specific models all the more important. It's like Star Drakes, um, getting to notch down on three of these guys at a time is a big deal. And plus, the Nets have three attacks at base. That's not including Sneaky Snufflers. It's not including the... Uh, with the two-inch range on the net, you'd put them in the second rank, wouldn't you? Because you'd want to have your one-inch guys being able to reach and attack. Yeah, but with a 25-millimeter round base, it's less than an inch um, in width. So you essentially fight in two ranks anyway. Oh, I see. But if your netters are in the front, two inches off of them will hit the second rank of the enemy. Ah, Okay depending on what you're fighting, so you'd negatively affect your opponent even more. But if you're fighting against things on 32s with one-inch reach, it doesn't matter. So it just depends what you're fighting, how you set them up. I got you. Interesting, very interesting. There's a little tactics that you got to quite understand when you're moving your units around. Because if they're on bigger bases, I might as well have those guys in the third rank, because they're only going to affect the first rank anyway. So get all my fighters up front and get these guys standing right in the back just enough to mess up that first row of guys who's attacking. Right. Interesting. And then there's all the other minus ones to hit in this book or fight last and minus one to hit. So there's a lot of negatives that they can apply. It's this way they actually like get a chance to stick around. I'm curious to see this playing... On the table, you know what I'm saying? Because there's there are so, like you said, there's so many little things you can add on that it looks like it could be actually pretty cool if you got it all set up right. Even playing straight up grots, stabbers, and shooters, you could put I don't know what the number is. I think it's about 300 on the table if you so felt inclined, um, with a couple of characters <laughs> behind it. I don't have the mental wherewithal to even contemplate moving around 300 grots. Um, and I can't imagine it would make a particularly fun game. It'd be effective because 
it's 300 models that you have to try to chew through with all the modifiers that they get for nets, for cover, for this, that, and the other thing. It's just, I... And with your with your fancy terrain piece, when I kill one, I get to bring it back. Maybe at half. half strength, yeah. So essentially you get, what, 300 plus... 450. Another 150. Yeah, so it's essentially 450 grats um, if you get to trigger the bad moon enough. It's so silly. Yeah, but I think anyone that does that is really asking for a kick in. But that's just me. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> we've covered um, basically all the basics. We've covered the characters, most of them, and we've covered... Most of the grots. We have not gotten to the Spider Fang clans yet. We have not gotten to the trolls yet. To the we're not even yet. done with the Moon Fang with the Moon Clan. Oh, that's right. What do we got left? We got the sneaky snufflers and the fanatics. We have still got sneaky snufflers and fanatics. All right. You know what? Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna talk about sneaky snufflers and fanatics, and then uh, we're gonna figure it out from there. Let's. Oh God. Okay. So let's talk. Sneaky snufflers are pretty cool. When I read this, I was like, "Wait, what?" Um, yes. These guys the are new. Am I correct? Yeah, these are brand new. Um, so essentially, it's grots that go around with uh, snuffler squigs. They're essentially like pigs. They got these big, massive noses, um, and they harvest loon cap mushrooms. And these are the ones that grow when the bad moon is about. Um, another valuable fungi. And these guys can actually make a really good living just by harvesting these mushrooms. So these are the agrarians. These are your farmers. Um, and then they'd sell them to the shamans and other grots for various trinkets. Um, so their job is to not only find the choicest mushrooms, but also to harvest when the moon is about, even mid-battle. And then they give them to their uh, brothers and they get better because they get a little addled by the mushroom. Yeah, and so. they just keep checking them. And they'll check them at their enemies, too, because the powder and stuff, once again, uh, uh, gets used to it. Humans and stuff, not. Mm-hmm. So let's look. Here's one of the – these guys are little two-wound go- jobbers here. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's – you know, they're – they're one attack for the rider, one attack for the snuffler, fours and fours, no rend, one damage. Really, you know, they're not fighters. They're out doing, they're here for the ability. Oh, yeah, for sure. So at the start of the movement phase, you say that they're harvesting loon caps. They don't move, but then you can roll a die. If the, ro- if the die roll is less than or equal to the number of models in the unit, pick a friendly moon clan unit wholly within 12 inches of it. Plus one of the attack characteristics of the melee weapons used by that unit until your next movement phase. So an extra attack. If you pick the same unit to be affected by this ability more than once in the same turn, they take it. The unit takes two d six mortal wounds for each additional time you pick it. So you could take a couple of units of sneaky snufflers, and you're going to want to guarantee that the thing works. So you want to want to keep them. Since you got to roll equal to or less than the number of models in the unit. Let's see. Squeaky, sneaky. These are fives. Oh, they come in fives? Yep. For 70 points. So, yeah, you could risk just not roll, you know, 
cross your fingers to not roll a six. But you could take a couple of these, and you can either add one to the attack characteristics of three different units, or if it's a big unit, if you've got that 60-guy unit, you could literally, in, in a time of crisis and great hilarity, mm-hmm. bump them with two or three of these things. And then you're going to yeah. lose, if you roll low, you won't lose too many models. Take out the models that you just overdosed, basically. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly, that could be, am I right? Could that be pretty good? Well, you figure if you've got a spear, it's a two-inch reach. Uh-huh. You could hit these guys multiple times with snufflers. So you get them up to three attacks each. Uh, the spore splat of fanatics, when we get to them, add more attacks. So you can get them up to four or five attacks with and re-rolls. And the, this counts for the nets too, right? Yeah. Because they're melee so the nets, Yeah, the nets will go up to five or six attacks a pop. And then if you hit the command ability, they do sixes on rolls to wound. Or they do mortal wounds on rolls to, rolls to wound of sixes. So huh. you're just throwing buckets of dice and hoping, but... But it's cool yes, that you've got a unit whose basic job is to do that. Yes. For 70 points, I can throw these guys in the back, and during times of crisis, you can get... Well, you can get an extra wound almost every turn. You can get an extra attack, I mean, almost every turn. Mm-hmm. But during times of crisis, if you've got a few of these units, you could just Rambo them out. Yeah. <laughs> just be like, hey, here's a bajillion attacks. A bunch of you are going to die, but here's a bajillion mm-hmm. attacks. Yeah, and I like could, the models. the The drawing that in the in the picture where they describe him, it looks like a shark monster. Mm-hmm. But in the actual thing, he looks like a little pig monster. He's kind of cute. Yeah, they are adorable. Um, but they affect Moon Clan units, so you could do a Mangler Squid get hit with this for plus one attack to all their profiles. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Oh, and with the damage that those guys do. Hmm. Moon clan. Or even squigs. So or fanatics if you wanted to go there. Like there's a lot of options for more attacks that are never bad. Yeah. And of course, and how could we even possibly forget is that if you're running around with gits, you're gonna have some fanatics. Um I didn't realize how they got fanatics out to the battle before, mm-hmm. apparently. I didn't pay much attention. So, yeah, because you just kind of assumed that they were there and never really... There's some people that just never were even cognizant of they have to drug them up, tie them up, and then wait. Yeah, they stick them in a bag. And they tie them mm-hmm. up and stick them in a bag with all the chains and either release them when it's right or when the drugs wear off and they just come to life on their own. And so it's like, okay, let them sit them loose. But yeah, so they give them this stuff. It boosts their strength. It boosts the stamina. It's a it's hallucinogenic, and then they 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 sit this thing loose. Yeah, they shove the ball and chains into their hands and then throw them out. Yep. So it literally, when you used to release them in the game, when it's, oh, when they get close enough, they're released. That that that's literally what they're doing. They weren't just waiting till the right moment. The second you're close enough, let this thing go because it's dangerous. Mm-hmm. 
And if you're not going to attach them to a giant rock on the end of a chain, you're going to attach them to a giant thwack weezer puff shroom on the end of a chain. Mm-hmm. Which uh, those are the different types of fanatics, the the ones we know and love, sling giant mace balls around. Uh, yeah, these guys are throwing around puff shrooms that are the size of a cave squig. Uh, they slam this thing into there, and instead of getting hit with concrete, as you know, as soon as this thing hits ground, it kicks out clouds of just lung clogging spores with a weird sound. Um, as they swing this thing around, the puff shrooms let out a constant sound. So, yeah. and they make fart noises while you're swinging them around. They make fart noises till they hit you and release spores and gases, which choke you to death. Mm-hmm. Among the sounds. Yeah, and they're like a big concealing cloud, so the things behind them get covered in this fog, and then. The grots will then take in deep lungfuls of these spores, and it they just get angry and they succumb to like battle frenzy. So, although where humans just start kicking up their their they start coughing up their dissolving lungs. Yeah, that's okay. So, oh, so funny. All right, so uh, let's talk fanatics. This is one of the few things that's Bravery 10, because they don't care. Mm-hmm. Uh, six up, save one wound. They move 2d6 inches. Um, it's got to go into a unit of Moon Clan Grots that's at least five models and is already part of your army uh, as, as the unit that it's with. So basically, you got to mark down what unit it's in. You can't just pick it random. you got to mark down what unit it's in. Uh, and then at the start of the charge phase, you can release the unit. Set it up wholly within three inches of the unit it was with, more than three inches from an enemy unit. If the unit was released in your charge phase, it can attempt to make a charge move in that phase unless it was uh, the unit was with had any restrictions that would stop it from attempting to charge, like if it ran. So you can't run and then charge out your fanatics. They count for whatever the unit did. Yeah, and you used to be able to run and charge and throw. You used to be able to run and throw fanatics in the same turn. Right, and you can't do that no more. Nope. Uh, apparently, you can release them in the enemy charge phase, but it doesn't get to charge; it just gets released. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? If the charge roll for this unit is a double, then after the charge move or after the charge fails. Uh, the unit takes a mortal wound, and then each other unit within an inch of it takes D3 mortal wounds. So basically, if you roll doubles, it dies, but it'll do D3 mortal wounds to any other models that are right next to it. And, oh, this fight's right at the start of the combat phase before players pick other units to fight. This unit yeah. cannot fight again in the combat phase unless an ability or so. So these guys go first. Mm-hmm. You're not just taking them out because they don't have an opportunity to fight yet. Because they are always fighting. They are in motion. Then they are fighting. They are dangerous. Yeah. And for the amount of attacks that they kick out, um, D6 each, 4 by 3 Ren 2, damage D3. Like These things do a lot of damage. Uh, they are on bigger bases now. Um, they were on 25s. So they're now on 32s. So they do take up a bit more real estate, um, but you can take them in bigger units now. 
yeah, they they still seem good. Yeah, they, they are good. more. They're more expensive to buy them as a five pack than it would have been to buy them individually or in threes. But with the five pack, you do kick out a lot of a lot of potential damage. Yeah. And what about the spores bladders? These things are hilarious. Yes, they are. Um, they don't hide in units. These guys start on the table. Um, they have the same thing. If they roll a charge roll of a double, they do the mortal wound thing. They get to fight first, um, but they have two extra rules. Uh, so, Puff Shroom Frenzy. So, at the start of the hero phase, friendly Moon Clan Grotz, wholly within 12, becomes subject to Frenzy, and they get an additional attack just by being near them at the start of the chart, at the start of the hero phase. That's because of all the gases and stuff, right? Yep. They breathe it in, they get angry. Um, and then they have the spore cloud, so models are not visible to each other if an imaginary straight line one millimeter wide drawn between the closest points the two models crosses over this unit or passes within an inch of this unit. Um, this ability does not apply if either of the models the line is drawn between is a model from this unit, a model that can fly, or a monster. So essentially... They block off things behind them that don't fly or aren't monsters. So you can't block a mangler squig with these things. Otherwise, that would just be ridiculous. Um, but it's still like providing cover for your very squishy troops. Yeah, okay. and it's giving them cover, more they're attacks. Not visible. I mean, they're just yeah. not visible to you. So there's all sorts of stuff you can't do to them. Yeah, casting spells. Obviously, shooting. So, again, these guys are on 32, so their real estate on the table is a little bigger. Um, you just have to watch out for units that can pluck single models. Otherwise, you might break half the unit. Yeah. Because you're going to want these guys as wide apart as you can to provide the most cover. Right. So you just got to watch out for units that can pick. And they don't do as much damage, but uh, they... They hit a lot more accurately. They hit on a two. Right. But uh, D3 attacks, D3 damage, one rend. It's not bad. Yeah. I think you'd definitely throw a couple of these in, though, wouldn't you? I am going to be putting one in my list to go along with some snufflers to pump up my 60 spear grot unit. Uh-huh. Like, that's baked into my list. Um just this way I can get the grots up to three attacks a base or five with the netters. Um, I'm going to play around with doing a double snuffler, which I know just sounds really weird to say. Um, just to, like crack them out to more attacks if I really want to. Um, and then combine it with a loon boss on foot's command ability so, so they can do the mortal wounds. Um, we'll just have to see how that goes. Yep. Whoops. There we go. Yep. Uh, all right, look, we've been going forever. We've still got two, like, two whole sections of this army to do, plus battalions and stuff like that. Do we want to talk Zarbag? Do he's we? The last... He's actually viable. All right, well, tell me about him then. So Zarbag and the Gits are the uh, They're Night the Vault Spire, or the Night Vault, yeah. Yeah. So I think in a lot of other books... The Night Vault and Shadespire Warbands have not been the most useful things in the world. Um, this guy and his gits, I actually do think, are perfectly viable. 
Um, so he's a wizard. He gets another spell. Um, he gets one of the spells. And on a, you get to roll a dice with him once per battle before you attempt to cast a spell. And on a two plus, you get to add plus two to the casting roll. So this so way you can guarantee getting your spell off, because if you've got this going, plus the Light of the Bad Moon, he's a plus three cast, which is nothing to sniff at no, at all. No, it's not. Um, so if you've got to get, like, a Hand of Gork off, or the uh, Mortal Wound spell, or the Great Green Spite, like, he makes sure that the spell goes off. Um, his basic spell is okay, makes somebody have to retreat if they're within three inches of him. So, but if he's within three inches of a of a character of a enemy unit, he's probably dead anyway. Um, and then his little unit is nothing really, but he is the good part of that equation to have to take to get a decent wizard that is actually pretty good. Yeah, I guess. I didn't think much of it, but. I just looked at it and said, "Oh, it's the uh, it's the underworld guy." So you know. Yeah, I think there's a couple of them. Like most of the season ones have been like, "Eh, we can just pass over those." But the thorns of the Briar Queen, I've seen shown up in lists. Zarbag, I think, will have a place, and then same with Moloch. Um, so I think we're going to see them a little more. Cool. That's actually pretty cool. To find them to suddenly become useful in the game uh, itself is, is something I like seeing that work in that way. So, mm-hmm. cool. Alrighty, so uh, I uh, think we're gonna break it here, and then yeah, a little okay. bit. Yeah, uh, I'm tired. You tired? <laughs> like yes. All right, we've been doing this for over three hours. So here's the plan. Uh, let's just end the show here. Um, not because we're not going to finish this and not not we're not going to make you wait two weeks. Um, Alex and I will get back in in the next day or two and finish the rest of this, but you got baby duty. I've got family stuff. It's been a rough couple of weeks for me and for Alex with the new baby and stuff. And so, look, I just can't marathon this. No. <laughs> so um, – we will put part two out in just a couple of days. Give us a couple of days, and we'll put out the rest of the episode. Um, this should hold you for a few days. So bonus episode, uh, or second half of the episode, whatever, coming out in a few days. Um, that will not be, for uh, if you are a Patreon patron, uh, I've always promised only two episodes a month would go up for the Patreon stuff. So this will not go up. Uh, as a, uh, the second part will not go up as its own episode as far as Patreon is concerned. So I just wanted to throw that out there, but, um, yeah, I think we gotta, we gotta take a, we gotta call it for here. So, um, we'll be back to finish it in just a day or two, but, uh, Mm -hmm. let's wrap up, I guess, um, uh, folks, while you're waiting for the second half of this, you can always check out after Eleanor, uh, on, uh, the free Buddhist network. Lots of great shows on there, and uh, if you like that or our show, you can leave us a nice iTunes review. We appreciate them. Check out the Patreon page, as we mentioned, and thanks again to the associate producers, Phil Elliott, Dwight Sims, Christoph Sanders, and AJC. AJC. There we go. Told you uh, I get it. There you go. And thank you all for being part of the 1%. Alex, um, we'll finish this up in just a bit. 
Yep. I can I can see why you were so excited though. I mean, not just because you love this army, but uh, it, this is this has been really pretty pretty much fun put, to put together. All right, folks. Once again, next time we'll be in just a few days, uh, not a few mm-hmm. weeks. But until next time, only the faithful will be triumphant. Only the faithful will stand when all others fall, and only the faithful know no despair except in failure. You've been listening to Garage Hammer. If you've enjoyed the show, maybe consider leaving us a positive review on iTunes or check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash garagehammer. If you'd like to reach us, you can contact us via our email address, garagehammer at live.com. You can also find us on Twitter. David is at garagehammer and Alex, that's me, is at somekindageek30. Original music by Claire Seabrook. You can find more of her work at soundcloud.com slash Claire Seabrook Music. Finally, if you want to join the Garage Hammer community, as well as the AOS community worldwide, you can comment on our episodes in the show thread at the Grand Alliance Forums. That's tga.community. Or check out the Garage Hammer Facebook page. And as always, thanks for listening.